following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everybody, it's Monica, your host for Arts uh, Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday. I don't think I got it backward this time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, with me is my co-host, Victor Gouveia, who does all my tech junk. Hello everybody. I'm learning to do it, but he's doing it for now. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, anyway, um, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. If you like what you hear, um, we want you to um, like us on Facebook, Twitter, or wherever, and um, subscribe to our channel, Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? And um, if you don't like Facebook and Twitter and all of that, um, you can find us on podcasts. Uh, any any podcast catcher just about that you can think of uh, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, QCast any place, anything that does podcasts we're not hard to find so anyway um, we're glad to have you and our first program uh, that we're going to do it's uh, uh, the other the other week when I had detective shows, I had so many that it made my program way too long, so we decided to leave some of them out and do a few more um, investigator shows and that sort of thing. So the first one we've got is, um, it's called Ideal in Crime. It's one of my favorite shows, and uh, oh, yeah, Victor just reminded me that I say that about every one of them, so... Uh, he, he, last week he, he reminded me that of that so uh but anyway uh this one is a favorite and uh, but it's called uh the abigail murray case so enjoy Broadcasting Company presents I, Deal in Crime, starring William Gargan as Ross Dolan. This is Ross Dolan speaking about a woman named Abigail Murray. And if you can draw a picture from the name Abigail, your mental photography is probably correct. She's tall, skinny, with a prim mouth and a primmer figure. She and Forty became acquainted quite some time back, and she dresses in solid black. I met Abigail Murray in quite the conventional manner. Uh, how do you do? All right, young man, if you're ready to take your feet off your desk and sit up like a gentleman, I'm ready to discuss a business matter with you. Oh, I'm so sorry, madam. Uh, I was so interested in your entrance that I forgot my manners. Hmm, well, I can see that. Do you mind if I sit down? No, no, not at all. Uh, please do. Thank you, Mr. Dolan. You are Mr. Dolan. 
Yep. I'm Abigail Murray. I live in Norwalk, and I'm here in the city on a visit. I see. Also, I happen to be a school teacher. I thought so, uh, Miss Murray. Please, call me Miss Abigail. I'm used to that. Been used to it for 30 years. Okay, Miss Abigail it is. Now, I want to employ you, Mr. Dolan. You're to be my escort. Are you willing to be that? Well, <laughs> that depends. Now, we're not going out to nightclubs and places of that nature. If that's what bothers you, I'm not the type. No, no, I'm afraid you're not. Uh... I merely want you to drive me across the city this evening. I'm visiting an old pupil of mine, and I dislike driving in the dark. Uh, that's all, huh? Just uh, drive you around tonight? Certainly. Miss Abigail, uh, there must be more than that. If, if you just wanted to go across town, you could have taken a taxi cab or the uh, streetcar. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. All on account of the letter. Letter? Of course, the letter. The one I have in my purse. Oh, oh Miss Abigail, you didn't tell me about the letter. Well, naturally not. I haven't come to it yet. Well, this letter, uh, what does it say? It merely says that I'm going to be murdered tonight. <laughs> took a long look at Abigail Murray, and believe me, she wasn't kidding. Also, in her prim New England manner, she wasn't particularly worried about the threatening leather, either. She handed it to me, and uh, I read it. Abigail Murray, you should have stayed in Norwalk. Now it's too late, because tonight you are going to die. How did you get this letter, Miss Abigail? It came to the hotel where I'm residing, by special delivery. But uh, uh, who could have sent this letter? Uh, do you have any enemies? Well, I've been a school teacher for 25 years. What do you think? Well, I, I think the police station is a good spot for you. Come on. Mr. Dolan, I wish you would dispel the notion that you can order me around like a simpleton. I've never gone to the police, and I'm not going to go now. But, Miss Abigail... Now, do you I... wish to escort me across town tonight, or shall I find someone else? Okay, you win. I'll be your escort. Fine. I'm staying at the plaza. Pick me up at seven. Oh, no. If you want me to guard you, I'm starting in right now. But I'm going to the beauty parlor. <laughs> Having my hair waved. Well, I'll be glad to come along uh, to make sure the curl isn't too permanent. <laughs> Abigail Murray picked up her bag, stuffed a threatening letter in it, and left my office with me right behind. She really did have a date with a hairdresser, and uh, I spent an interesting three hours in the outer room uh, playing handies with a manicurist. Then we had dinner. I had a steak fried while Miss Abigail stayed in New England and had hers boiled. At eight that evening, we were driving along in her car. You know, Mr. Dolan, this is the first time I've driven my car in the city at night. I know, I can... Hey, look out! Hey! Didn't you see that truck? Of course I saw it, but I had the right of way. Oh, fine. After all, it was his duty to get out of my way. Uh -huh. They always get out of my way in Norwalk. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame them. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, just where are we going? To visit an old pupil of mine at 327 Kendall. His name is Richard Way. He's been seriously ill. When he heard I was going to visit the city, he invited me to come and see him. Would uh, he be the person who sent you that letter? Richard? Oh, hardly. He has the general courage of a field mouse. Hmm. Well, we'll turn here and take a shortcut to the park. I enjoy parks at night. I would never have believed it. Oh, uh, Miss Abigail, uh, slow down a little. Hmm, why? Slow down, that's all. Well, but why? There's a car in back of us. You think there's something wrong? Uh, motion him to go around us. He's been trailing us the last few blocks. Very well. <laughs> The guy had fired three shots at us. 
Abigail let go of the steering wheel, and our car made a sharp right turn into a convenient tree. By the time I untangled myself and got out, the would-be killer had disappeared in a cloud of blue smoke. Those shots, they came right through the back window. He was shooting at us. Uh, not us, Miss Abigail. He was shooting at you. Now, let me see if the car is all right, and then you and I are going to the police. We should have done that in the first place. I want to visit Richard Ray. Later. Now, let's see. Banged up the front of the car. Is everything all right, Mr. Dolan? Yeah, yeah. You didn't do any damage. Just uh, dented one fender of the... Uh-oh. Now, what's wrong? The tire, it's flat. Is the spare in back? Oh, yes, yes, of course. Well, hand me the keys, will you? Uh, we'll have to change that tire before we go any further. Here they are. Now, you just take it easy, and I'll have this beauty switched in a hurry. Perhaps I could help, Mr. Dolan. Okay, come along. Now, we'll just take this wrench, find the jacket. Get back, Miss Abigail. Why? What's wrong, Mr. Dolan? Uh, what's that bundle in there? That's no bundle. That's the body of a man. A man? Well, tell him to come out immediately. I don't believe it would do any good. He's dead. Dead man was tucked into the back of the car like a sack of potatoes. We got a flashlight out of the glove compartment of Abigail Murray's car and looked him over. He'd been shot once. I could see that right away. Then Miss Abigail gave out with a startled exclamation. Mr. Dolan, that's Richard. Richard? Richard Way, the man I was going to visit this evening. We've got to get to a telephone right away, Miss Abigail. The police will have to be notified. They'll ask a lot of questions. Oh, murder always brings out the bump of curiosity on a policeman's head. Oh, of course, he could have committed suicide. Oh, sure, sure. This would look like suicide to anyone. The man shoots himself through the heart, then he climbs into the back of your car, pulls down the door, and locks it from the outside. Try again, Miss Abigail. I've got it. That's how I was going to be murdered. You mean they mistook Richard Way for you? No, no, no. Don't you see? The person who wrote me that letter killed Richard Way. They put his body in my car. They knew it'd be found back there. I'd be accused of murder. I don't know. That sounds like a long way around to arrange a murder frame. Well, let's lock this back and get out of here. We're quite a ways into the park, Mr. Dolan. You think it's safe to walk? It is, if we walk where there isn't a road. I don't think our friend would leave his car. Uh-oh. A car. He's come back. Out of sight, quick. Is it the same man? I don't know. I can't see good enough. Oh, come on, Miss Abigail. We've got nothing to worry about now. But the man in that car, he'll see us. I want him to see us. That car happens to be a prowl car. All right, just, uh, what are you doing back there? Is it your car? That happens to be my car, officer. Oh, it happens to be your car, eh? Don't you know it's against the law to park off this road? Uh, we had a flat tire, officer. Flat tire, eh? And you were looking for your spare back there, huh? In the bushes. Officer, uh, I'm Ross Dolan, the private investigator. So what? Somebody fired a gun at us while we were driving through here. You can see the bullet holes in the back window. Go on. I got out and opened the back to get us a spare tire. There's a dead man in there. So you looked inside and found it. Did you say dead man? Yeah. I'll have a look in the back of your car. Come on, both of you. But, Mr. Officer... Come on, I said. Now unlock that turtle back. Okay. You didn't touch him, take anything out of his pocket. Naturally not. Do I look like the sort of person who would touch a dead man? You look like the sort of person who's coming down to headquarters and have a little chat. Headquarters? Why, this is disgraceful. 
Miss Abigail, if you only let me... One might think that Mr. Dolan and I were murderers. Yeah, one might think you were. Carter was one of those coldly efficient cops. He had me drive his police car to headquarters while Abigail Murray fumed, fussed, sputtered, and threatened. But it was like knocking down stone fences with a handful of sponges because Carter just sat back with no further comment. When we got to HQ, he herded us into a room for questioning. I shall certainly telegraph the mayor of Norwalk. I've never before been treated in such degrading fashion. Now, don't take it so hard, Miss Abby. All we've got to do is prove that we didn't kill Richard Way, and they'll let us go. But why do we have to prove it? I always thought a person, uh, well, was presumed innocent until they were proved guilty. And so far, no one has proved anything. I know, I know. And that officer, that Carter person. Did I hear somebody mention my name? You certainly did, and it was I. I thought so. Now then, I want to ask you both some questions. After that, we'll decide what's to be done. You, Dolan... I looked over your identification. Yeah? What's your story? Well, uh, Miss Murray employed me to drive her across town. I took the job. We were driving through the park. Somebody took a shot at us and blew out a tire. And that's when we found Richard. I mean the body. Miss Murray, I was talking to Mr. Dolan. When I finish with him, there are some matters you and I shall discuss. I was just trying to help. You'll get your chance. Oh. Now, uh, you found the body, huh? Yeah, when I opened the turtle back on the car to get at the spare tire. Then what? Then I started looking around for a cop. In the bushes, off the road. What kind of a cop were you looking for? All right, Carter, you're having your little fun, but you forget. Some guy with a gun had just fired three shots at us. Did you expect me to parade around like a big, fat target? Go on. Well, when we heard your car approaching, we ducked. When I saw the PD label on the door, we came out, period. Okay. Now, Miss Murray, you employed Dolan because you were afraid you'd received a threatening letter. I substantiated that statement with proof, Mr. Carter. I gave you the letter I received. So you did, and that's why I'm asking all these questions. You see, the dead man, Richard Way, had some notes in his own handwriting in his pockets. Is there something unusual about that? There is in this case, Miss Murray. Comparing the handwriting on the notes with the letter you received, we came to the conclusion that they were both the same. What? The man who threatened you by mail was the man you found dead in your car. <laughs> lot of similar chit-chat which took place at police headquarters, but Carter finally let us go. He warned us not to leave town, which was a little ridiculous because I have an office here, and Miss Abigail told Carter she wouldn't miss the fun at this point for a carton of eggs. I took her back to the plaza and went home to my apartment, wondering what would happen next. An hour later, it turned out to be a blonde. I'm Faye Murray. You're off Dolan. And this is pretty late at night. What's on your mind, little lady? Don't little lady me, Dolan. Where's my aunt, Abby? Abby? Oh, you mean Miss Abigail. Yes, I mean Miss Abigail. Where is she? Well, the last I saw of her, she was digging a flannel nightgown out of her telescope bag down at the Plaza Hotel. Get out of the way. I'm going to search your apartment. You're going to what? Move, I said. Now, just a second. You can't come Shut fussing up. and... Shut up. Where is she? Try my refrigerator. She's probably hiding behind an ice cube. I'm not going to waste time on you, Dolan. I came here to find my aunt. And if you don't turn her up in 30 seconds, I'll phone the police. I wish you would. And while you're calling, enter a complaint for me, too. I know all about you. You're one of those ruthless private detectives. You're one degree removed from a crook. You, you take money under tables and under false pretenses. And I'm going to turn you over my knee and spank you if you don't stop that. Now, what's this all about? You mean you don't know where Aunt Abby is? The last time I saw her, she was ready to hit the sheets for a full complement of slumber. What gave you the idea she was here? But I called her at the hotel. She didn't answer. How'd you get up here? A man answered Auntie's room. He said that she'd come up here, that you'd forced her to come with you. 
Me? Force Miss Abigail to do anything she didn't want to? Why, that little old gal has a mind all of her own. But then, who was the man in her hotel room? That's what we're going to find out. He's at the plaza. Uh, I just told you that. Oh. Dolan, are you sure you took her home? I certainly am. I wonder what could have happened to her. Carter Hotel? Miss Abigail Murray, please. One moment. Did you answer? Give her a chance, will you? Well? Well? No answer yet. I'm sorry, sir, but Miss Murray is not in her room. Do you wish to leave a message? Yeah, yeah. Have her call Ross Dolan when she comes in. Yes, sir. Oh, and one more thing. Uh, did you see Miss Murray a little earlier this evening with a man? A man? Uh, let me think. Oh, yes. I saw her earlier. She came in with a big, beefy character wearing a wrinkled gray suit and a brown hat. Would you know him, sir? I would. It happens to be me. Oh, no, sir. You mean it was I. It was me, and don't you forget it. He's not there, is he? No, and the clerk doesn't seem to remember her going out. Hmm. Well, in that case, Mr. Dolan, I'm sorry I bothered you. Good night. Boy, she certainly was in a hurry. I wonder. Hey, Miss Murray, Miss Murray, I want to ask you if... I never did find out what hit me, but from the size of the bump on my noggin when I woke up, I figured it was at least the Santa Fe Chief or a Constellation full speed ahead. The first thing that greeted my sight when I opened my eyes was a pair of black shoes. I let my eyes travel upwards. All right, Dolan, what did you do with her? Do with whom? Abigail Murray. She's disappeared. That's what I like about you, Carter. You always bring out the news when it's a day old. Get on your feet. I want to ask you some questions. You've just got no mercy at all. Hey, let me shake the ache out of my gray matter. What happened up here? Somebody slugged you? Oh, no, no, no. I, I just butted my head against the wall. I, I do it all the time. Now then, what happened to Abigail Murray? You know as much as I do, Carter. You know about the car disappearing? Her car? Well, you took care of that. I sent the wagon out to pick up the body. They brought in the body, and the garage man sent a truck out after the car. When he got there, it was gone. Well, you got me. This is the first I've heard about that. I called Miss Murray at her hotel. She had gone. No one had seen her leave. Now, Dolan, just what goes on around here? What's the gag? I told you, I don't know. I called her, too. Her niece was up here looking for her. Her what? Her niece, uh, Faye Murray. Niece, huh? What's wrong with that? We checked on Abigail Murray at Norwalk, and she hasn't got a father, a mother, no brothers, and no sisters. So obviously, she couldn't have a niece. Mm. So what are you trying to give me? A little information on what happened after I took Abigail Murray to the Plaza Hotel. I came home, was here an hour when her niece showed up. I'm trying to tell you Abigail Murray doesn't have a niece. So the girl just said she was her niece. Give me a description on the way downtown. I'll get out a call on him. On the way downtown? Where am I going now? I'm going to the morgue. I want you to take another look at Richard Way. It uh, couldn't wait for morning. Huh? I want you to see that body before it disappears, too. I began to think about a number of things regarding Abigail Murray. Also, Faye Murray, the niece who wasn't a niece. Who was she? And why was she looking for Miss Abigail? Then we pulled up in front of the morgue, got out of the car, and went in. Did you take anything out of the dead man's pocket, Dolan? The first thing I learned as a private detective was to leave that strictly alone. Why? I just wondered. In here. 
Say, uh, who's the guy over there? You'll find out in due time. Okay, take a look. Is this the man you found in the back of your car? Yep. Sure? You can make a positive identification? Yep. I remember where the bullet struck. Also his face. Uh-huh. Mr. Way, would you mind stepping this way, please? Uh, yes. I must be seeing double. This can't be. Well, Dolan, what do you say now? Well, this guy must be the dead man's twin brother. I've never seen such a resemblance before. That's right. This is John Way. Richard Way's twin brother. Ross Dolan. Now then, Mr. Way, uh, mind telling me again, when did you see your brother last? About 7 o'clock. He said he had an errand and left the apartment. Did he mention his appointment with Miss Murray? No, he didn't. You have no idea how your brother's body got in the back of Miss Murray's car? None whatsoever. Okay, thanks, Mr. Way. We'll call you if we need you. Thank you. Say, you want any more from me, Carter? No, just be around where I can find you. Well, I'll be home. Say, by the way, uh... Have you checked the bullet holes in Miss Murray's car to see if they match with the bullet in the dead man? I'd love to, but we haven't found the car yet. Say, uh, when you do, Carter, I've got a little bet for you. Yes? I'll give you two to one, they match. I walked out of the morgue onto the street, leaving a very puzzled Carter standing there, but no more puzzled than a private eye named Dolan. The street was dark and forbidding. The lights in that district were black with age, and the buildings were dark and gloomy. I wondered how one twin felt when the other one died, because I'd read stories about the invisible threads which bound such people together. Then I felt a hand on my arm. Dolan, wait. Well, Miss Faye Murray, or uh, have you switched to another name by this time? Dolan, I've come to ask a favor, a big one. And I'm going to ask one of you. Just turn around and walk back into that morgue. There's a cop there named Carter who'd just love to meet please, you. Please, Dolan, listen to me. Forget all about Miss Abigail. You mean your aunt? Or uh, aren't you the niece who isn't the niece? I can't explain anything to you right now, but if you'll promise me something, I'll tell you the whole story in a few days. Well, that's so kind of you. I get shot at, hit over the head, dragged around by the police, lose sight of my client, and you want me to wait. What for? This is a matter of life and death, Dolan. I'm asking you to forget about everything that's happened. So? Because if you don't, Somebody else will die, too. Say Murray, if she was Say Murray, had one great trick. She could disappear like nothing I've ever seen before. By the time I opened my mouth to ask another question, she'd melted away like a bonbon on a hot rock. I went down towards the lighted corner, and ten minutes later was in a taxi cab. I retraced the same route I'd taken earlier with Miss Abigail... When the cab got to the spot where the shooting had occurred, I got out and looked around. But there was nothing to look at, so I got going again. I remembered Miss Abigail mentioning the address of Richard Way. It was 327 Kendall on the other side of the park. I got out a block away. I stood there until the blinking red taillight had disappeared around the corner. I wanted to be sure no one had followed me. Then I made my way inside the apartment building and got the apartment number off the mailbox. I didn't care to announce my presence, so I took it very easy going up the stairs. The apartment building was as quiet as a grave, and the word grave reminded me of the dead man lying down in the morgue. When I got to the door of the apartment I was looking for, I could hear voices. John Way and Faye Murray, but they were too low to make out. So 
So I looked for another method of getting in on the know. The apartment was one of those two-bedroom and bath affairs with a separate door for the kitchen. I moved inside through the kitchen. The two voices grew in intensity as I moved towards the living room door. John, you promised. Of course I did, my dear. Of course I did. That was to get you back here. But you told me if I got rid of Dolan, you'd take care of everything. You'd let Miss Abigail go. And so I am, my dear. I am going to take care of everything. You know, I could go to the police. I could tell them the whole story. In your present condition, I hardly think so. In that case, I'll scream. I'll yell as loud as you want. Oh, you make one sound or I'll kill you right now. I took a chance and moved closer. What I saw surprised me because the girl was tied in her chair, hand and foot, while John Way held his hand over her mouth. I started inside, but he was quicker than I was. Put up your hand. One move and I shoot. Dolan, I told you. You, come here. Sure. So, you just couldn't take Faye's advice. You had to come around here snooping. I'm beginning to figure a lot of things, Way. You killed your brother. Well, you're very observing. Where's Abigail Murray? What'd you do with her? Oh? Oh. You want to know where Abigail Murray is, do you? Yeah. You know, I think I'll arrange for you to find out. I'll go a step further. I'll arrange for you to go with her. Well, she's still alive then, huh? Where is she? In the settled back of a car. I put her there. Hey, what's the matter with this guy, Faye? Is he off his cart? He's... He, Faye, if you say I'm insane, I'll kill you right here. So, that's the way it is. You think I'm insane too, don't you? That's I am. All my life, it's rich at this, rich at that, rich at the other thing. Now, you're in pretty deep, mister. Better hand me that gun. Oh, you think you're sly, don't you? You think I'm going to just hand it over like that? And that? No. No. No, I've got it all set up. You, Faye, and Abigail are taking a little drive with me. Only I'm coming back alone. You stole the car, huh? Before the cops came back. Of course. That was very clever of me, don't you? You uh, answered the phone in Abigail Murray's room when Faye called her, didn't you? Of course. I dropped in to see my old teacher. We were such pals, you know. She always gave me such good marks. <laughs> You're quite a clever guy. Uh, how'd you get her out of the hotel? Down the back way, servant center. It's quite deserted. I arranged that, too. Then you came over and conked me on the head, huh? Yes. Yes, after I locked up Miss Abigail in the car. Well, you get around, Mr. Way. You see, I followed Faye. I thought she might do something silly like employing you. But I prevailed upon her to forget it, didn't I, my dear? You lied to me. You told me that if I got rid of Dolan, you'd let Miss Abigail go free. Oh, no. No. What I said was that I'd see that Miss Abigail was free. And she shall be. Because... One is free when one is dead. What are you going to do? Drive the car in the river. They'll never find it buried in the mud. They won't find us either. Naturally not. You'll be in the car from now on. You'll fail in Abigail. And uh, what happens when you try to get me out of here? I could start a rocket. <laughs> I have that plan, too. Turn around. What for? I said turn. Okay. Now what happens? I'm going to hit you over the head. 
Not too hard, but just hard enough to keep you quiet for a while, I guess. No, no, drop it! You fool! But you can make me! I think I can! I was lucky enough to catch John Way with a fast chop to the chin. Then I phoned Carter, who came out with a squad and took John Way down to the clink. At his trial, a group of doctors testified that he was violently and incurably insane. Later, I had a meeting with Miss Abigail and, of course, Faye at the Flamingo. My, my, Mr. Dolan. When I asked you to drive with me that night, I never dreamed that we would become involved in such an adventure. Well, neither did I. What puzzles me is, how did John get hold of my car long enough to put Richard's body in it? Well, he told the doctors at the trial that he saw you take it into a filling station to have it greased. He represented himself as your brother, took the car, put his brother's body in it, and returned it to your hotel. Oh, think of that. Uh, why did he hate you so much, Miss Abby? And, and why uh, hate his brother? You know, I can't understand that. Richard was gay, a good student, well-liked. John was exactly the opposite. Moody, a bad student with violent dislikes. It uh, probably gnawed away at his mind until he made it up to get rid of the two people he hated. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, now, let's talk about Faye here. Why the pose is Miss Abigail's niece? Faye, you're merely an old friend. Why did you say you were my niece? Only because I thought it might carry weight with Mr. Dolan. Only I was raised and found wanting. Oh, purely in a business sense. Uh, try me on the uh, social time sometime. Tonight? Uh, the sooner, the better. And, of course, I'm coming along, too. You know, I've never been to a nightclub. <laughs> I've never even done the, uh, the rumber. Now, 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 take it easy, Miss Abby. Uh, how do you know you like it? Oh, I shall. After all, a girl my age can get into trouble, too. Yeah, you can say that again. Good night, folks. to listen again next week, same time, over most of these ABC stations, when you will hear William Gargan say, I deal in crime. I deal in crime, starring William Gargan as Ross Dolan, is a special presentation of the American Broadcasting Company. It is written and directed by Ted Hediger. Special music is arranged and conducted by Rudy Schrager. Now, here's a special program note. International Intrigue. That's what David Harding... Okay, we have another one here that I haven't seen in a long time, but uh, it's called The Amazing Mr. Malone. I kind of I kind of like him and hope y'all will too. And uh, But this one is called Mr. Morgan the Cheat. So enjoy. And y'all be sure and leave us comments and let us know what you think. And if you have any requests, get them to me, and I'll find them. Here we go. Operator. Operator. Get me the office of John J. Malone. Best-selling mystery novel. You've seen him in her hit motion pictures. 
Now, for the first time, you can enjoy his baffling stories over the air to the adventures of fiction's most famous criminal lawyer in Murder and Mr. Malone. J. Malone, attorney and counselor at law. They say one of the qualifications of a good lawyer is a sense of humor. I wouldn't know about that. For example, I never could appreciate the humor of a certain Mr. Charles Morgan. Morgan was a big-time gambler in Chicago whose practical jokes I found a little too strong for my taste. And on this Saturday afternoon, Morgan and a beautiful blonde model named Linda Stevens were planning one of his best in a car parked in front of the Club 86 on Chicago's South Carolina. You understand what you're supposed to do, Linda? I'm not too sure, Mr. Morgan. No, what's the matter with you anyway? Your agent told me you were a hep dame. Look, Mr. Morgan, I don't need a job that day. Oh, I'm sorry, Linda. I didn't mean that. You see, I want to play a joke on this guy. I want to make sure it goes off the schedule. Well, the more I hear this joke, the less I like it. Well, I tell you, there's nothing to worry about. This fellow's a good friend of mine. Oh, then why do something as silly as that? Just to settle a bet. He thinks he's a great little man with the ladies, and I bet him 50 bucks he was wrong. But, Mr. Morgan, you promised me 100 for this job. How can you possibly win? You don't understand. It's not the money. It's the principle of the thing. Just want to make a sucker out of David. David? Yeah, his name's Paul Davis. He's a thin little guy with red hair and pop eyes. You want to have any trouble spotting him? He owns the joint. He'll be in the corner booth. But uh, suppose your friend doesn't show any interest in me. You haven't taken a good look at yourself in the mirror lately, have you, baby? I'm not at all worried. When Davis sees you, we'll start baying at the moon. But at the beginning, you want me to act inside. Right. That's so he shouldn't become suspicious. Then pour out and let him buy you a couple of drinks. And after that? Well, he'd probably want to take you out for the evening. You tell him first you have to make a stop at your apartment. I don't think I like that, Mr. Morgan. What's that I not like? Perfectly on the up and up. When you get to your place, I'll be waiting for you. And that's where you're going to tell Mr. Davis it's just a joke? Yeah. I can hardly wait to see him when he learns it's a gag. Why, I'll bet he'll practically die laughing. I uh, think I'm going to like this. I wouldn't bet on that, David. Uh, 
Morgan. Oh, then you do know each other. You dirty little double-crosser. Oh, no. He told me it was a joke. Well, the joke's over now, honey, so you can beat it. Now, see here, Mr. Morgan. I said beat it. If you're a smart girl, you keep your trap closed. Now, go on. Listen, Morgan. Shut up. I don't want any conversation with you, Davis. just want my dough. What dough? Don't Welsh. Sixty grand, you owe me. Oh. Oh, that... What'd you think I was talking about? Well, you, you see, I'm kind of low, Morgan. I, I've been running a tough luck lately. Uh, from now on, it's going to get worse. You know, all the boys are laughing at me for letting you hang me up. man in my position can't afford that, Davis. Might give other people ideas. Uh, uh, look, Morgan, I suppose I pay you a little at a time. What do you call a little? I can give you ten grand now, and the balance... Keep your hands down. I was just going to get my wallet. You got that dough on you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's have it. Oh, sure, sure. I, I was going to give it to you all the time. All right, Morgan. Get him up. Put away that gun, David. Heck, your age. <laughs> well, Mr. Morgan, who's the joke on now? I guess it's me. And you're not kidding. That's okay, Davis. I'll see you again. Now lay yards. Next time you won't be this lucky. You'll enjoy it. After Morgan goes to all that trouble, Davis pulls a gun on him and leaves him with his tongue hanging out. That's very amusing, Hudson. What happened after that? Oh, Morgan started looking for him again. What do you think will happen if he finds him this time? The same thing, Mr. Lyons. You don't believe Morgan will kill him? Yeah. Morgan's all talk. You think so? I know so. I wouldn't last this long as a private dick if I wasn't a good judge of character. Take it from me, Mr. Lyons. It's all a bluff. That's too bad, Hudson. It would be worth a lot of money to me if it weren't. Oh? How much is, uh, is a lot of money? What's the difference? You're not interested. Try me. $2,500. <laughs> you're right, you're right. At that price, I'm not interested. It isn't worth more. Everybody knows that Morgan has threatened Davis. You're on absolutely no risk. Eh... Uh... What have you, uh, what have you got against Davis, anyway? That is none of your business. Either you want the job or you don't. Well, as long as you put it on that basis, Mr. Lyons, let me take it over.
probably guessed Paul Davis never did complete that phone call. Thirty-five minutes later, he was on a slab in the morgue, and the cops in Chicago were out looking for Charles Morgan. But apparently, they weren't looking in the right places, for when I came home that afternoon, I found my door unlocked. No sooner had I opened it, and I was challenged with it. That's you, Malone? What the devil? Shut the door. Now, listen, Morgan. Shut it. Just keep your hands right where they are. What are you doing here? I'm hot. I haven't you heard. That still doesn't answer my question. I don't see why not. I'm wanted for murder. You're the best lawyer in Chicago. Doesn't it add up? Not to my liking, Morgan. You better get somebody else. Listen, Malone. Maybe I haven't handled it right, but I didn't kill David. Now, why don't you tell that to the police? You don't think for a minute they believe me. Suppose I told you that I don't either. Listen, Malone, I know you don't like me, but give me credit for a little intelligence. If I was going to knock off David's, but I shoot my mouth off all over town. So? I'll tell you I didn't kill him. And who did? I have no idea. Okay, Morgan, I'll see what I can do for you. But first, I want you to surrender to the cops. Oh, no. And it's no deal. Now, wait a minute, Malone. I can... I'll make you a proposition. I'm not interested. Oh, but please, hey, give me a chance, will you? Thought a man is presumed innocent until he's found guilty. You lawyers just say that because it sounds good. Well, we have I'm convinced with any luck you can clean this up in a couple of hours. If you haven't by then, I'll give myself up. What do you do in the meantime? Stay right here. Now, what's to prevent me from walking out and calling the police? Nothing. Oh, you, uh, just trust me, huh? That's right. Now, this is against my better judgment, Morgan. But you got yourself a lawyer. Yes? This is Norma Davis. My name is John J. Malone. I'm sorry to bother you at a time like this, but I'd like to ask you some questions about your husband. I've told the police everything I know. I'm uh, working on a different angle. Come in. Thank you. Now, what is it you want to know? Have you any ideas who might have killed your husband? Yes. Charles Morgan. I mean besides Morgan. No. Paul didn't have an enemy in the world. Well, you know, that's not true, Mrs. Davis. Your husband wasn't exactly the most popular citizen in Chicago. How dare you say that to well, me? I only won't met... have you talk that way about him. I'm tired of these insinuations. What do you know of the kind of man Paul was? I'm sorry. Oh, you're sorry. Go on and get out. Mrs. Davis. I don't want to hear any more about it. Leave me alone. Permit me to congratulate you, Norma. That was a marvelous performance. Thank you, Raymond. You think I convinced Mr. Malone that I was a heartbroken widow? How could you help it when you practically convinced me? Come here, darling. Let me console you. Just a second. Yeah? I'm looking for a guy named Hudson. Well, look no further, Mr. Morgan. You, Hudson? That's right. One of my friends told me you wanted to see me. He told you right. Care for a drink? Yeah, I can stand one. Yeah, help yourself. The bar's in the corner. Uh, pour me one while you're at it. All right. You're in a bad spot, Morgan. You bring me up here to show me that? Yeah. You see, I know who killed Paul Davis. What? You heard me. That one mine? Yeah. How, uh, how you fix the cash? What do you mean? I got a lot of information to sell, and it's going to the highest bidder. You mean you can clear me? 
I'm not doing any more talking until I see the color of, uh, the color of your dough. How do I know you got merchandise? Oh, I'll give you a sample. Did you know that Davis's wife was two-timing him? That's all. <laughs> that's, uh, that's all you get for free. But, uh, you can use that kind of stuff, can't you? Listen, Hudson, I want you to talk to Malone. Who? John Jay, he's representing me. Are you kidding? No. You talk to him? Oh, sure. Provide and I can make a buck. Don't worry, I'll take care of you. Now, I'm going back to Malone's apartment. I want you to call him there in about 45 minutes. You tell him what you told me about Mrs. Davis. Oh, no good, no good. Get the dough up first. Now, look, Hudson, I only got a grand on me. I'll give you another four the next time I see you. Okay, Morgan. You got yourself a deal. Morgan? Morgan! Oh, great. Yes, sir? Vincent, this is Mr. Malone. There was a man waiting in my apartment. By any chance... Never mind. Come in. I was just asking for you, Morgan. Where the devil have you been? Oh, that tells me a lot. I thought you agreed to stay right here. I know, but I had to see somebody. Who? Suppose you tell me what you found out first. Well, not very much. Every lead I explored came back to you. Did you see Mrs. Davis? Yeah, just for a few minutes. What'd you think of her? She seemed all broken up over her husband's murder. She was kidding you, Malone. It makes you think so. Because I've been doing a little checking up on my own. She's been holding hands with some guy who wasn't a husband. Where did you get that from? Private Dick, named Joe Hudson. Oh, that lion. I don't care what he is, Malone. He's got the evidence to clear me. Who did he say killed Davis? He wouldn't tell me. But I made him promise to talk to you. Should be calling you any minute. Morgan, I wouldn't trust that guy in a stack of Bibles. What did you give him? Give? Yeah, a guy like Hudson doesn't talk for free. What did you promise him? Five grand. Well, you better save your money. I tell you, you can clear me, Malone. Yeah, it's probably him now. Hello. That you, Malone? Yeah, that's right, Hudson. I take it that you've talked to Morgan. Yeah. Well, what do you think? What I think is unimportant. Morgan tells me you can clear him. Sure, for a prank. Oh, well, I'm not interested. you got to talk to him, Malone. I don't like it, Morgan. Neither do I, but if this guy can say... Well, make up your mind, boys. Okay, Hudson. We'll be over in an hour. Down the hall. No, no, here it is. I want you to let me handle Hudson Morgan and keep your mouth shut. You're the doctor. What's keeping him? I don't know. Maybe one hour, huh? Oh, I doubt that. How can you tell? Take a peek at that keyhole. Can't see a thing. Yeah, because the key's still in the lock. That means Hudson's got to be in there. Hey, Hudson, open up! Hudson! All right, Morgan, give me a hand. What are you going to do? Break it down. Shouldn't take too much effort either. Let's go. One more should do it. Eve! Hudson! Hudson! Where the devil is that light switch? Oh, he's somewhere around the door. Watch yourself, Morgan. Wait till I strike a match. I got it. There we are. Malone! Uh, yeah. He's either that or asleep. And with that knife in his back, what do you think?
listening to Murder and Mr. Malone. Twenty minutes after we found the body of Joe Hudson, Lieutenant McGraw of Cook County Homicide arrived. You should have seen his face light up when he spied Morgan. He acted like a man who was prospecting for silver and found gold. It was a nice piece of work, Malone, a very nice piece of work. All right, Morgan, let's go. Hold it, Lieutenant. He's not the reason I called you. No, I know, but I'm not complaining. I told you not to call him, Malone. I'm beginning to think you're right, Morgan. For the same nickel, I could have phoned somebody with brains. Now, what kind of a crack's that? Well, in case you haven't noticed, Lieutenant, there's a body lying on that sofa. Yeah, it'll keep. But as long as you raise the point, why did you kill him, Morgan? Are you crazy? I just got here with Malone. Oh, hand me that. It's the truth, McGraw. So you're going to be his alibi. Yes, and you better listen unless you want to look like a jerk and we go to trial. Oh, yeah. How long would you say Hudson was dead? Not too long. The body's still warm. Could have been anywhere from 15 minutes to three quarters of an hour. Well, that lets Morgan up. But I don't see how. Because he was with me every minute from the time I got Hudson's call to the time we broke down the door. The whole business took at least an hour. Your word's not good enough, Malone. Okay, if you don't believe me, you can check with the switchboard of my place in the dorm and downstairs. Yeah, I'll do just that. If that's that. not enough, I'll dig up a hacker who drove us over. Well, that still doesn't mean Morgan couldn't have killed Davis. Oh, use your head, Lieutenant. You know both these murders were committed by the same party. Hudson knew who it was. That's why he was killed. I still say it was Morgan. Oh, you're crazy. Hudson was going to clear me. Keep quiet, Morgan. All right, Lieutenant. I'll advise him to confess if you can show me one thing. What's that? How did he get in here? You can see the only door was locked from the inside. So what? He could have used the window. Oh, yeah? Well, take a look. Bars on it. That's right, and nobody but a midget could fit through the open. Then there must be another door. Forget it, there isn't. Well, then it was a physical impossibility for anybody to have killed Hudson. Yet it was done. How? I can't tell you, but maybe I can take you to the little lady who can. All right, now listen, Malone. If the DA ever finds out I let Morgan go, he'll have my... Wait a minute. Isn't this the house where Paul Davis lived? That's right, Lieutenant. Well, you can't bother his wife now. Why not? Because her husband was just murdered. Oh. Well, she may surprise you with what she knows about it. Morgan told me she was being romanced by some character. Who was that? I don't know. Apparently neither did Davis. Yes, me, McGraw. I have a... Yes? Hello, Mrs. Davis. Remember me? Uh, not too pleasantly. Oh, well, may we come in? I'm sorry, Mr. Malone. I'm busy. This gentleman would like to ask you a couple of questions. This gentleman means nothing in my own life. You never can tell. He's a lieutenant in the Cook County Police. Oh. Well, it's it, just that the house is in such a mess. Well, we uh, promise not to stare. Who was it, Norma? Norma! I, uh, I think you're being paged, baby. It's, uh, it's nothing, Raymond. Uh, for a moment, darling, I was... Uh... Hello, Lyons. Malone. Lieutenant... I can explain everything. Sure you can, but suppose we do it downtown, huh? Downtown? It's customary, Mrs. Davis, when the police are questioning suspects. But we've done absolutely nothing. Nothing but murder your husband and a man named Joe Hudson. That's a lie. Do you deny that you and Lyons were busy in the romance department behind your husband's back? Yes. And what's Lyons doing here now? He's just helping me. Like he helped you murder Joe Hudson? No. Just a moment, Mr. Malone. I thought this gentleman was the officer of the law. Yeah, you're right, Lyons. But if you think my questions are going to be any less embarrassing, you're in for a bad shock. Joe Hudson was murdered at 1045 tonight. Now, where were you at that time? 
with Norma here. That's right. Oh, now that's what I call a wonderful alibi, Lieutenant. Too bad there wasn't anyone else around to substantiate. Oh, but there was, Mr. Malone. A justice of the peace in Cicero. I think he may remember us. Why should he? Because I gave him a hundred dollars to perform the marriage ceremony that made Norma here Mrs. Lyon. <laughs> doesn't make sense, McGraw. Hey, you watch where you're driving. I tell you, there's something screwy about that marriage. You saw the license. Doesn't it strike you as strange that within 12 hours after her husband is murdered, Mrs. Davis marries another man? Of course it does, but there's no law against it. As an attorney, you ought to know that better than anybody else. Yeah, but an alibi like that must have a hole in it. Yeah, will you show me where? And after you do that, show me how either Mrs. Davis or Lyons could have murdered Hudson. If it was a physical impossibility for Morgan to kill him, it applies to them, too. Hold everything. Oh, what a chump I've been. Yeah, well, they say confession's good for the soul. I tell you, I got the answer to all of it, Lieutenant. On the level, Malone? Yeah, I know who killed Hudson. And with the help of Morgan, you want to prove it. I don't see what you're driving at, Malone. I don't know anything about Mrs. Davis except what I told you before. Well, how did you discover she was seeing Lyons? I didn't know it was Lyons. All Hudson told me was with some man. Uh, how well did you know Hudson? I met him for the first time today. He got in touch with one of my friends and said he wanted to see me. Oh, well, that uh, puts us right back where we started. Oh, look, why don't we drop the whole business, Malone? Yeah, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Sure. Cops know now I couldn't have killed Hudson. That's where you're wrong, Morgan. You mean they still... No, no. But I do. What are you babbling about? I know how you managed it. Do you? Yeah, it was pretty clever. I can't blame myself for not seeing it sooner. No wonder you insisted I go and see Hudson. Still waiting to hear you explain how I killed him. I'm saving that for the cops. Don't kid yourself, Malone. You've done all the talking you're going to. Oh, put away that gun, Morgan. You don't think I'd be fool enough to come up here alone? Funny, I don't see anybody around. You're not looking in the right place. What the... Get on, Malone. I'm warning you, Morgan. You better throw your gun in the middle of the road. You want it, Lieutenant? Come... Watch it, Maloney. He may be acting. Well, with that hole in his forehead, Lieutenant, it doesn't call for much ability. You can drop me off at the corner, Lieutenant. Well, it's, uh, Ben Grant. Hold it just a minute, Malone. Are you forgetting something? I got a report to make. Well, he's stopping. You are. Well, you know that Morgan killed Davis. Oh, sure. I was the first one to say so. Yeah. You should have stuck to your gun. Well, when you tossed in all that razzle-dazzle about Hudson's murder, you kind of threw me. Oh. I don't feel too badly, Lieutenant. I was right with him. Of course, I'm reconstructing now, but this is what must have happened. Ryan's tried to hire Hudson to bump Davis. Hudson said he'd think it over. When Davis was killed, Hudson knew immediately that if he didn't do it, Morgan must have. Well, I don't see how that follows. It could have been Lyons. Oh, no. If Lyons were willing to do the job, why did he approach Hudson in the first place? Oh, no. It had to be Morgan. When Hudson realized that, he tried to shake down Morgan. He even told Morgan if the price were right, he might be induced to frame Davis's wife. So Morgan played along with him, asked him to get in touch with me. Mm -hmm. Now we're coming to the part I want to hear. Well, when Morgan went to meet Hudson, he knew it would be the first of many such meetings unless he took steps. So he uh, put the mickey into Hudson's drink. Well, why didn't he kill him then and there and be done with it, huh? Well, because he needed an alibi. And I was it. 
No, I don't get it. It's uh, pretty simple. He needed someone with him while he murdered Hudson. Why? Yeah. Remember you said it was a physical impossibility for anyone to get into that room and kill Hudson before Morgan and I broke down the door? Yeah, I remember. Well, you hit the nail right on the head. It was a physical impossibility. So that means Hudson was killed while I was in the room. All right. Now let me get this straight, Malone. You mean while you were hunting for that light switch? Morgan was hunting for a place to plant his knife. Wasn't he taking quite a chance there? How? Hudson was drugged. He couldn't make an outcry. A knife doesn't make any noise at all. Yeah. Well, that'll learn you. Now, the next time I say something, you'll listen. I told you Morgan was the killer all along, didn't I? Yeah, well, you'll have to forgive me, Lieutenant. I, uh, I've been hearing so many radio shows, I forgot it wasn't unconstitutional for a cop to be right. <laughs> Let's hope this establishes some sort of a president. Characters depicted in this story were entirely fictional. Any resemblance to actual places or people living or dead is entirely coincidental. Murder and Mr. Malone has come to you from Hollywood. Back in the days of radio, um, well, back in the days of just about anything, they didn't have too many women doing anything. So, and the same was true with uh, these detective people. There weren't very many detectives or investigators, but we have one here called Candy Matson, and um, a lot of people like her, um, and and she's okay, uh, but uh, the name of this next one is the cable car case, so enjoy. Now let's move up to the 1950s with Candy Matson, played by Natalie Masters on... The Cable Car Case. Do you have a little unsolved murder in your home? Got some blackmail you want to unload? Are you the victim of some vulgar extortionist? I know a girl you should meet. She may not be the greatest private eye in the world, so what if it does cost you three or four hundred dollars? She sure is sweet. She's Candy Matson. Like to meet her? Hello. Candy Matson? Well, I wasn't sure when I looked in the mirror this morning. Had a rough night, eh? Oh, there have been rougher ones. Look, boy, before you get caught with my receiver down, who are you and what do you want? As to who I am, you'll find out very shortly. What I want is you. How romantic and over the phone, yes. Let me finish. What I want is you to lay off that cable car business. Oh, that. Well, I'm afraid I can't. You see, I was sitting beside him when they discovered his transfer had been punched sort of permanently. (laughs) 
that's how things happen with me. I get into the craziest routines. You see, I used to be a model. I've been told I have the proper displacement for such a career. But I found there wasn't enough money in it. A girl has to maintain a nice apartment on Telegraph Hill, keep enough clothes to highlight the uh, displacement I mentioned, and also eat, doesn't she? Sure. So I turn private eye. You meet a better class of people, mostly named Rigger or Mortis. Now take this cable car deal. It's positively fantastic. But after all, this is radio, isn't it? Like to hear how the whole thing happened? Leave us trip along to Act One. You're listening to Candy Matson on the Golden Age of Radio Theater. Once again, Natalie Masters as Candy Matson. I wanted to get downtown that morning, but I couldn't take the F car on Stockton. They were ripping up about 87 streets, which is par for the course. So I walked down Telegraph Hill and up to Mason. That's where the Bay and Powell cable car stopped. All aboard! Come on, Lana, show that shapely ankle. We gotta make the Fairmont by Whitsuntide. The car was loaded, and so was the character next to me. I tried to budge into the seat between him and the fisherman's wharf dowager, but I couldn't quite make it. I'd forgotten my shoehorn. Say, pardon me, but would you mind reading your Wall Street Journal over that away a bit? I'd like to sit in here. Oh, if you insist. A knight of old. He budged his hips a quarter of an inch, and I slipped in, ready for my rocket ride over the hill and down into town. The trip, as usual, was uneventful. Three smashed fenders and several choice words I'd never heard before, but I wrote them down. By the time our prairie schooner reached the turntable at Market Street, the crowd on the car had thinned out. But uh, Buster was still beside me. His head buried in common and preferred. Market Street! I started to get down. Hey, lady, take your boyfriend with you. We're heading back up the hill. Boyfriend? I'll sue. He looks like the advance man for Lewis and Clark. How do you like that? He fell asleep over his stocks and bonds. I looked again. Hipsy wasn't asleep. <laughs> Hipsy was stone cold dead on market. <laughs> I, who always went on the prowl for a whodunit, get one literally tossed into my lap. He just hadn't gone out of this world serene-like. Oh, no. There was a steady slurp-slurp of blood trickling down his vest just north by northeast of the equator. After a half-hour wait full of questioning by homicide leg men, I knew my morning shopping tour was rained out. And after all, I was only going to buy an emerald clip to match the glint in my eye. Well, that would have to wait. I knew the next step. I grabbed the cab home. I wasn't long in waiting. Right on cue. And if it was the right cue, it would be Lieutenant Ray Mallard from headquarters, daintily pressing his cuticles against my apartment buzzer. I was right. What? I've been expecting you. Come on in, Mallard. You've been expecting me? Why, Candy? Naive little rover boy, you. Have a drink? No, no, I'm not in the mood. Uh, just make it a double... Sit down, Mallard, and let's be civilized. Take off your hat. It is off. Oh? <laughs> Candy, for once I'm puzzled. You're just saying that. Yeah, because it's true. I've checked and rechecked. No matter how many loose ends I tie together, I still get no connection between you and Dwight Ellsworth. 
Dwight Hoosworth? Ellsworth. Your extremely limp traveling companion on the cable this morning? Mallard, I can give you an angle on that. Yeah? Yeah. The angle being that I didn't know him from Adam. Level? Straight. Oh, look, honeypot, this mediocre dialogue is getting us nowhere. What did you haul your size 11s in here for? Oh, frankly, I don't know. Uh, here, fill it up, will you? Well, you're not just going around in circles, Mallard. You're going around in doubles. Yeah, yeah. Like I've said before, Candy, you've got a pretty view from here. Oh? Wait till I turn around. I mean from your window. Look at that ship down there, just docking. Hmm? Where? Down there. There's oh. romance for you. Probably just in from the Far East. Here's your drink. Oh, thanks. You know, it is sort of romantic. Don't you think it'd be fun to jump on a tramp like that and whisk off to the South Sea? Hmm? On a honeymoon? No. That's what I thought. Mallard. Don't call me Mallard. Why not? We're just playing for ducks, aren't we? Oh, very crisp. Playing for ducks. No, Candy, we aren't. Not in this case. We've got a dead man in our hands. Rudy Toot Toot shot right through the heart. And you were sitting next to him. Sure, sure. Go on now. Get out of here. What? You heard me. Lift your hindquarters and get back to headquarters. Candy, I don't like that look. You've got something on your mind. Yeah, yeah, but you wouldn't recognize it if I told you about it. Uh, one word of warning. Don't dabble. You're in deep enough. Got it? Got it. Here's your hat. Grab it. So long, Mallard. See you around a jailhouse sometime. Fi-fo-fum. T'was then I smelled the big fat sea. That great, big, kind of attractive Mallard. He missed the boat. Oh, he saw it, but he missed it. It was that ship he saw docking. That was the first time I came out of the dark since my Toonerville ride down the hill in the morning. I needed help, so I called an old friend of mine, if you can call that help. Rembrandt Watson was his name. He was a photographer and other things. He spent most of his life in the dark room dabbling with bottles. His negatives and prints were sharp. His thought processes, not quite. But he'd given me assistance in the past, so I called him. Rembrandt Watson speaking. Photography, portraits, and camera work. Yes, Rembrandt, I know. Also uh, available for gardening, janitorial service, and babysitting. Rembrandt, it's candy. Especially at the over 21. Who? Candy? Now you're tuned in. How dare you, baggage. I was experimenting with a new type of formula. 90 proof for 100. 100. And candy, it works beautifully. There's a delightful little pixie in a pink ballet skirt in my living room. Well, leave her there and get over here immediately to my place. Take a cab. I'll pay for I'd it. I'd much rather have a handsome carriage with a brace of chestnuts. You've got them in your head. Now, just do as I say and get over here. <laughs> in, Rembrandt. Gadfrey, where's the man to take me cloak, gloves, and topper? You're wearing a sport coat and slacks, and you know I have no man. And therein lies your basic trouble, my dear. You have no man. Now, Rembrandt. Every man should have a woman. Every woman should have a man. It's the incontrovertible law of the universe. Candy, you should have a man. You. Sure. I'm no longer a man. I'm a sprite, transcending the world. Well, and... stop transcending a moment and come down to earth. We've got a job to do. How poetic. How idyllic. We've got a job to do. Uh, for money. Eventually. Oh, one of those. Very well, my dear. Bring me up to date. Well, I... 
I don't really know if I can or not. Good. Then I shall leave and return to me formula. Oh, no. What I mean is, the whole story is so fantastic you'd never believe it. I might. Try me, Candy. Well, I get on a cable car and sit next to a character reading the Wall Street Journal. A strange coupling. A cable car and the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And when we get to the end of the line, my friend next to me is dead. Probably the ride down the hill frightened him to death. Uh Uh-uh. He looked like a used punch board. He had a neat little bullet hole through his heart. Candy, my little ballerina friend in the pink skirt is more believable than what you just told me. I told you it was fantastic, but none of how it happened. Now, sooner or later, Mallard is going to come out of his fog. And when he does, I'm going to be out of a fee. A fee that so far doesn't exist, my protector. It will, if my hunch is right. Now, here's what I want you to do. Go down to the Chronicle and get all the back files you can on Southern Island Steamship Company. The Chronicle? A pleasure. I have a few questionable companions there who indulge in formulas. Stay away from those companions and just do as I ask. Very well, my dove. I go, but entirely against my will. And where will you be? Around town, Rembrandt. I've got to do some legwork. Let me assure you, Candy. You have just the right equipment for it, too. They mount slip gullets on the walls instead of deer heads. Well, come on, Candy. Get your tools out and screw up your courage. Yeah, miss, what'll it be? Uh, nothing right at the moment except information. Information, water, both free. What do you want to know? Well, I'm, I'm looking for the purser off the Dwightsonia. I hear he does his shore duty in here. Uh, that's right. Name Campbell. That head on the table over there belongs to him. Mm, thanks. Hello, sailor. Hey, Campbell. Wake up. Uh, Come on, snap out of it. Uh, Who are you? Who do you want? My name is Candy Matson. I want to ask a question. I'm only drinking. Go away. Not until I find out what I want to know. Dwight Ellsworth was murdered this morning. What? I thought that would bring you to. Well, that's the nicest news I've heard since VJ Day. What do you want to know? Where does his brother live? That's stute. He's got about as much spine as a water eel. Never mind. I want to find him. He seems to keep his whereabouts as secret as an atomic stockpile. Uh, the whole family ought to be knocked off. Uh, he lives out in Seacliff. 25 Dashell Road. Good. A bartender, buy my friend a little reward. And one for yourself, too. <laughs> Well, so far, so good. Oh, how did I know about Campbell, the purser? Well, you see, I have quite a few friends, most of whom my pal Mallard doesn't approve. So I grabbed the cab and navigated the driver out towards Seacliff. It was so foggy I couldn't see the meters. But I paid him anyway, gave him a neutral tip, and dismissed him. There it was, 25 Dashell Road. An austere-looking cabana. One that dared you to ring the front doorbell. I dared... I had the awful feeling I should have been around at the side door delivering hand laundry. Good evening. Uh, except for the fog, yes. Uh, is Mr. Ellsworth in? Yes, he is. But I'm afraid I must ask you to leave. 
There's been a death in the family. I know. That's why I'm here. Come in, please. Thank you. Walk this way, please. Oh, I'm afraid I, I couldn't, even if I lived to be a hundred. Mind your tongue, young lady. You're in the house of an Ellsworth. <coughs> oh, Hoity-toity, the old babe had delusions of grandeur. Well, no need to get uppity with me. I've mingled with royalty. I once played a bit part in a Rita Hayward picture. But this old gal was really something. She couldn't have been more than 45, yet looked like something out of the Barrett of Wimpole Street. She ushered me into a large ceiling living room, and there on the divan was my boy. His head lowered into his hands and quite obviously touched. Quite obviously. Roger, this young lady is here to see you. I don't believe you mentioned your name. Candy Matson. Matson? You in shipping, too? Mm, other sort. Oh, uh, this is my wife, Miss Matson. You'll pardon me if I don't seem hospitable, but my brother was murdered. I know. I was sitting next to him when it happened. You were? Don't talk to her, Roger. I don't trust her. This whole thing is a threat of some kind. No, it's not a threat. It's a business proposition. I'll come right to the point. You see, I'm a private detective. Oh, one of those persons. Put your nose back down, Mrs. Ellsworth. I want to get the show on the road. Yes, I'm a private detective, and I'm in a spot, too. The police think I'm connected with the case in some way, so I'm here for a double purpose. I'm listening, Miss Matthews. Roger, I forbid you to speak with this this woman. Too late, Mrs. Ellsworth. Now, this is it. I'm in this business to make money. Give me a check now for $300, and I'll find out who killed your brother, and I'll also clear myself. Roger, I'm warning you. Naturally, you want to see the killer of your brother brought to justice, don't you, Mr. Ellsworth? Don't you? I... Yes. Yes. Here, I'll make a check out right now. Thanks. Just make it out to Candy Matson. Payable today. The lovely collection of guns you have, Mr. Ellsworth. You hunt much? Mm. Oh, yes, yes. My wife and I are quite fond of shooting. Uh, she's an excellent shot. Ah, there you are. Thank you. I'll be in touch with you sometime tomorrow. Mr. Reed didn't say a word. She just stood there against the fireplace and shot sparks through me. After I waved the check in the air a few times to dry the ink, she showed me to the door. Very clever, aren't you? Taking advantage of a weak-willed man. I wonder who made him that way. Don't cash that check. I mean it. Don't cash that check. Mrs. Ellsworth, $300. I need the money. Badly. I need some new rolls for my player piano. You're listening to Candy Matson on the Golden Age of Radio Theater. Once again, Natalie Masters as Candy Matson. I buzzed back downtown. I wanted to cash that check in a hurry. I knew of only one person who would give me the crisp green at that hour of the night. Uncle Charlie, the honest miller who ran the chase room. Uncle Charlie, in the strict sense of the word, was the gentleman. So with a tender little pat on my cheek, he cashed the check and I went up Telegraph Hill and home. All of a sudden, my eyes did a couple of inverted loops. Oh, my lights were on. Who's in here? All right, speak up. Oh, Candy, the light of my life. Come join our party. 
cool Rembrandt. You gave me a scare. You don't scare easy yes. either, Candy. Got something on your mind? And Mallard. Well, how ducky, a midnight soiree. What goes on here? Well, that chicken you had in the icebox is delicious. Was delicious. Looks like you've done everything but eat the bone. Your vintage is superb, too, Candy. Have a little formula? No. Now, no, come on. What gives? That's my line, Candy. What gives? You're in on something, and I want to know about it. Oh, Mallard, believe me, it, it's nothing. I'm, I'm just trying to parley a couple of hunches. Tall hunches. Look at all those clippings on the South Sea Island Steamship Company. What are they for? I meant to tell you, Candy, I had remarkable success down at the Chronicle. There's everything you want on that steamship line. Oh, Rembrandt, did you have to tell the whole world? Candy, you chide me unnecessarily. I merely had the clippings on the table when Hawkshaw here walks in on me. Okay, Candy, take it from there. I can't tell you yet, Mallard. Nothing makes sense yet. I've, I've got about four loose ends that need tying off. If I'd only put two men to falling you, I'd save myself a lot of grief. Two days, that's all, Mallard. Just give me two days. I think I'll have it for you. All right. But don't forget, the boys down at Kearney Street headquarters don't love you the way I do. Two days. No more or less. I gotta go. Thanks for the foul, chicken. Ah, very gay. Here, Rembrandt, here's $50 for you. Fifty? My word. What's all this talk about a recession? Go on and take it. Go someplace and stabilize the economy. I whipped through the old newspaper clipping. It was all there. Fire at sea on Ellsworth ship. Two seamen lost off Ellsworth ship near Honolulu. South Sea Island line ship loses rudder in storm. On and on it went over a period of three years. I threw the papers back on the table. Helped myself to some of Rembrandt's formula. Turned down the lights and went out on the porch. The day was dark except for an occasional path of light from a passing freighter. I sat down to think and think. Then, quick, quick, just like that, two little tumblers in my mind fell into place. Only one thing to do, and that was to do it the hard way. The next morning, just as the ferry building siren was announcing 8 o'clock to downtown San Francisco, I got Rembrandt on the phone. Candy, what on earth are you calling me for at this hour? Can't help it. There's work to be done. I did my work last night so extremely well that I'm just going to bed now. Sorry, you'll just have to delay your sack time. Meet me at the corner of Mason and Union in ten minutes, right where the cable car stops. Now what are we going to do? We're going to take a cable car ride. What? On one of those... Bouncing, jerky little contraptions. Not the way I feel this morning. Oh, yes, you are. Union and Mason in ten minutes. All right, Rembrandt, get on. This is the silliest thing you've ever done, Candy. Maybe. We'll see. Dwight Ellsworth was already on the car when I got on here. And alive. How could you tell? He mumbled something when I asked him to move over. Sounds logical. Although I once remember stumbling into a corpse who mumbled for hours after it had been liquidated. Mm, Rembrandt was in one of his rambling moods, so I let him alone. The car pulled over Mason Street, down Washington, and then swung on to Powell and up the hill. Now I watched the buildings and apartments carefully. It was a little red brick building, now a big apartment house. A woman's residence club and so on. Then over the hill, more apartments and the possibilities petered out of Bush. Well, only one thing to do. Canvas all those blocks between Washington and Bush. Okay, Rembrandt. Off the car. The strangest corpse I ever did see. 
Uh, what'd you say, Candy? Off the car. Come on. Now what? I just want to get to bed. Well, not for a long time, Boy Blue. Now, here's the pitch. You take this building, and I'll take the next. We'll alternate as we go along. Ask if a tall woman with a horsey face and dressed something like Queen Victoria ever lived around here. Oh, Candy. I know it sounds wild, but it's got to be done. A horse with a tall face and dress something like... Oh, Rembrandt, look at me. Get that smoke out of your brain. A tall woman with a horsey face and dress something like Queen Victoria. You got it? Got it. Okay, get going. It was slow and tiresome. And the answers I got. A tall gal dressed like Queen Victoria... Oh, sister! That was about par. Nope, nobody like that ever lived here. Are you positive? A dame who fits that description? Yeah, I'm positive. The morning wore on, and so did we. We were over on the other side of California Street now, so we stopped and had a bite to eat. I had pickles with mine, and Rembrandt had olives on toothpicks in a glass. And again, we picked up the hunt. My heart was suddenly making with a rumba. There, just on the other side of Clay, in front of a three-story red brick house was a police squad car. There was a little knot of people gathered around. Daintily lifting my crinoline, I did a Mel Patton down the block and up the front steps. I didn't have any trouble finding the room. The door was wide open and there was a body on the floor. Four representatives of the law were buzzing back and forth. One of the buzzees was Mallard. Well, my little ambassador of violence. Why is it you're always around the extremely dead, Candy? I've got no time to brandy the ad libs, Mallard. Who is it? I don't know yet. No identification. Let me see. <gasps> oh, a pen pal, maybe. I was right. I knew it. Knew it? Knew what? You're right. He was a pen pal. He wrote me a check last night for $300. His name is Roger Ellsworth. <laughs> Very interesting. Must be open season on Ellsworth's. Okay, Candy. Time you filled in in the blanks. Start. Wait a minute. I want to look at the window over here. Mm-hmm. Mallard, there are a couple of younger Ellsworths living around town here. I'm sure you'd like to see them stay healthy. Yeah? Get out to 25 Dashiell Road and pick up an old crone also named Ellsworth. Five will get you 20. She's the one you're after. Uh, all right. But you get back to your place and stay put, understand? I want to have a more illuminating chat with you. Oh, Mallard, I'm, I'm just like putty in your hands. The moon was coming up over Diablo and spraying a path of silver on the bay. Still no Mallard. I wondered what could be wrong. Well, this was it. This was the showdown. You seen a tall face with a horsey woman? Oh, Rembrandt. Candy, I'm so mad at you, I could... Uh... Oh, what's the use? Now what's the matter? What's the matter, she says. I've been roving all over Powell Street, ringing doorbells. Where did you go, you traitor? Oh, Rembrandt, I'm sorry. And in the excitement, I forgot all about you. What excitement? There's been another murder. In a moment, there's going to be another... I'm looking right at you, Candy. Oh, cool off. Have some formula and stop snorting steam. <gasps> what was that? Your window, Candy. Just shattered. What? Oh, wait a minute. That window didn't shatter by itself. Quick, get the lights, Rembrandt. Now duck down here. What sort of a silly game are we playing now? This isn't a game, believe me. 
Sandy! Sandy, are you all right? Yikes, it's the gumshoe. Yes, I'm all right. Where are you, Mallard? Over here. Two houses over. We've got your girlfriend trapped on the roof next to you. Don't move and stay covered. Okay. All right, Mrs. Ellsworth. Are you coming down peacefully, or do we have to play cops and robbers? I'm not coming down until I get that candy master. She did it. She forced me to kill my own brother-in-law. Have it your own way. Okay, loosen her up a bit, boys. Better than the Fourth of July. Keep your head down, Rembrandt. Oh, is that what was up? Ready to come down, Mrs. Ellsworth? No, I'm not. That hateful woman. She's ruined my whole life. All my plans. Just because of her snooping and prying. She's going to die, I tell you. Candy, you must have moved slightly just as she shot at you. Oh, it was too close, I can tell you. She's dead. Oh, decidedly. I think she was dead before she hit the ground. That one shot got her. We went out to her house, and she was just driving off when we got there. We trailed her up to North Beach, lost her for a block, and then spotted her car at the top of the hill here. We arrived just as she was getting on the roof next door. Okay, now you tell me your little dream. Well, it was that ship docking that set my wheels going around. The name Ellsworth started burning in back somewhere. You saw the clippings we dug up. The South Sea Island steamship lines were slowly being sabotaged. I did some checking, and I I found that the insurance companies weren't going to renew. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't tie that in sooner. Oh, it's just that you have too many things on your mind, Melody. (laughs) I went out to the place on Dashiell Road, and when I left, I was pretty sure the old girl had knocked off her brother-in-law. Why? Well, for several reasons. One, she was a venomous old witch. Two, you've never seen such a collection of guns in all your life. And her husband admitted she was a darn good shot. I also saw one little pot gun that was very interesting. It had a silencer on it. Uh-huh. That was the one she used on you tonight. And also the one she used on Dwight Ellsworth from the window of that apartment where you found her husband. How do you know? Go back there. You'll see a nice little bullet hole in the curtain. With burned powder all around it. Now, don't tell me that... Yes, I'm telling you that she rented that place knowing that her brother-in-law always went downtown on a certain cable car. She waited that morning until we were riding by, and she plunked him. I have now heard everything. And the reason? Dwight Ellsworth, rather than fighting the insurance companies, had decided to sell his steamship lines. But the old gal thought she'd beat him to the punch by knocking him off. The steamship company would then fall into her husband's hands. Yeah. What about her husband? Well, after he gave me the check and I left, they evidently had a fearful row and she spilled the beans. Somehow she lured him down to that place on Powell and gave him some lead poisoning, too. And that's all there is to it. Candy, I wish you'd have told me all these things earlier. We might have been able to save the life of Roger Ellsworth. Mm, it wouldn't do any good. Because if she hadn't killed him, I was going to. What? Mm-hmm. While I was waiting for you to get here, the phone rang. It was Uncle Charlie, the honest miller. That no good Roger Ellsworth. His check bounced like a brand new golf ball. (laughs) What's so funny, Mallard? Listen in again to the further adventures of Candy Matson, Girl Sucker. 
And that's Candy Matson and the Cable Car Case on the Golden Age of Radio Theater. For you Candy Matson fans, and based on our listener letters and comments, there are quite a number of you, you might be interested in knowing that uh, Candy Matson, played by Natalie Masters, was written by Monty Masters, Natalie's husband in real life. The program was produced in San Francisco and lasted until May 21st, 1951. This might be unfair to give away the ending of the series, but maybe if you if you don't want to know, plug your ears up and I won't tell you. You know, in each program, Candy is obviously somewhat taken uh, by the San Francisco policeman Ray Mallard, played by Henry Leff. And uh, at the final program of the series, the policeman asks Candy to marry him. And then he announces that it would be Candy's last case, and it was. And the show went off the air and left a string of broken hearts, including mine. I was really taken with Candy Madsen, and I was hoping that she would wait for me to grow up and catch up with her. And that's it for this golden age of radio theater program. Victor Rives here. I hope I didn't leave a whole trail of broken hearts with that information. Inviting you to join us next time we turn back the clock to relive the golden moments of radio's yesteryear. Bye-bye. Okay, guys and gals, ladies and gents, whatever you guys and gals are, um, if you like Jack Webb as much as I love Jack Webb, then I think you'll like him in this one. Um, this next one is called Jeff Regan Investigator, and um, it uh, shows it's you've got Jack in there playing the uh, head man, the detective. And um, he also did one called Pete Kelly's Blues. I'll try to get you some of those if, if you'd like. Um, but anyway, the name of this one is, oh, The Prodigal Daughter. I'm such a mess. But uh, anyway, give it a listen and let us know what you think. My name's Jeff Regan. I'm the lion's eye, his private eye. I work for Anthony J. Lyon, head of the International Detective Bureau. He doesn't care where the money comes from, just so long as it comes to him. He cashes in on trouble, and for him it pays off. For me, it's work. Here's the kind of adventure you've been waiting to hear. Hard-boiled action and mystery with radio's most exciting private detective, Jeff Regan. So stand by for trouble and suspense in tonight's story of The Prodigal Daughter. And now, here's Jack Webb as Jeff Regan. This is the way it started. Melody was sitting in the outer office wearing her horn-rimmed glasses. That told me that the client was in with a lion. I smiled at her, and she blinked back, rolled her eyes toward the lion's den. He's polite today. Yeah, I know. On the phone, I was Jeffrey. No. Yeah? 
Why do you stand for it? I wish I knew, Melody. Buzz me in, will you? Yes, Melody. Mr. Regan, do you know, Mr. Lyon? Oh, well, send him in. Send him in. We're waiting. Good luck. Thanks. Ah, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, my boy. My boy, come in, come in. There's uh, someone here I want you to meet. Now then, Jeffrey. Mr. Carter, this is Mr. Jeffrey Regan, one of my very best men. Jeffrey, this is Mr. Daniel Carter. How do you do? How do you do, Mr. Regan? Mr. Lyon has assured me that you're a discreet young man. Well, I always... All of discreetness, Mr. Carter. International Detective Bureau is ethically bound to employ sympathetic understanding personnel, as well as alert productive operators. I hope that's true, Mr. Lyon. In my publishing business, I never had the occasion to settle my trust on any one person. Very delicate situation, Jeffrey. Yeah. <clears throat> now, go ahead, Mr. Carter. Everything said in this room is in the strictest confidence. Well, I want you to know that it wasn't easy for me to come here. It's, uh, it's admitting defeat in a way. Patrice is my daughter. Five years ago, she walked out. Oh, I... I can understand in a way... When her mother died, I started sending her away to schools. I I was no companion for her. Have you heard from her at all? Do you know where she is? I've never heard from her, Mr. Regan, since she left. I don't know where she is. But I... I want her back, Mr. Regan. I can see how you feel. International is in business to make people happy. Now, uh, I've offered Mr. Lyon a $2,000 fee if he can find my daughter. 2000 bucks. That figures. <clears throat> now, you can trust International to find your daughter and bring her back. Hmm. Well, then I, I guess that's all, Mr. Regan. I, uh, I'll go now. You'll let me know as soon as you find anything? Of course, of course. Then good day, gentlemen. Trust International, Mr. Carter. Good day. Here's your ticket. You leave on the Sunset Limited at 145 today. I do? You're going to New Orleans to pick up that dame and bring her back. She was 19 when she left home, and any dame who's 19 has a boyfriend next door. I found out that much in two phone calls. The boyfriend hasn't heard from her in over a year. But that means she's got another boyfriend down there. Here's the New Orleans address. You knew all this? Here's a picture of it. She's just been staying away from the old man. This is going to be a nice piece of change. Two grand for bringing her back. Plus expenses. How do you know she'll come back with me? She walked out all alone, that means she wants to be all alone. Maybe we could make another thousand if some nosy newspaper guy just happens to get tipped and wants money to keep quiet. Oh, you're crawling with ethics, aren't you? Melody will give you some travel checks. Sympathetic, understanding. Better pack some things before you miss your train. Just in business to make people happy. I want to be happy, too. Beat it. Call me if Two days later in New Orleans at the Roosevelt Hotel, home of the original Ramus Gin Fizz, I figured it would take a lot of fizz to pull away that southern heat, but everybody in the lobby seemed cool enough in linens and tropicals and seersuckers, except me and a big perspiring man leaning against the CNS ticket tire. He smiled when he saw me and came across the lobby holding out his hand. Well, well, I'm really glad to see you. We thought you'd never get here. Nice trip. It was all right. Say, the rest of the boys are headquartered in A-10. They're mighty anxious to meet you. 
They are? Mighty anxious. Uh, Delta Cotton Growers are going to make it or break it at this convention. Now, I want to... He was talking real sincere and bent over to make a gesture. The accent was phony, but the bulge inside his double-breasted gabardine coat was real enough. It was a thirty-eight automatic. I see. I'll take you up right now. Uh, why don't I meet you up there later, huh? Well, all right, if you'd rather. That's uh, room 810. I'll go out and get a bite and eat. You do that. About an hour. Clerk. Yes, Mr. Regan? How long have the Delta Cotton Growers been in town? Uh, Delta Cotton Growers? Uh -huh. Boy, they had their convention last May. Last May? Yes, sir. Uh, who's registered in room 810? Well, we have no 810, Mr. Regan. <laughs> That's what I thought. Thanks. What do you do with a big man, a phony accent, 38 automatic, and no Delta Cotton Growers convention? You tell me. Two hours later, in a fresh shirt and a wrinkled suit, I was still working on that one as I climbed the stairs to the Ursuline Street address where Patrice Carter lived. It was one of those dirty, unpainted apartment houses in the French Quarter, full of heat and low-watt light bulbs. The girl who opened the door was tall, black-haired, wore a black dress. The picture Lion had given me of Patrice Carter was a blonde. Yes. My name's Regan. I wonder if I could see Patrice Carter. Huh? Patrice, you're a friend of hers? Yeah, I'm from Los Angeles. How do you do, Mr. Regan? I'm Janice King, Patrice's roommate. Please come in. Uh -huh. Right this way. Maybe it was because the two big rooms I followed her through were dimly lit, or maybe it was a sweet, sick smell of flowers. I don't know, but perspiration began to trickled down my back, and I braced myself when Janice King opened another door. Here you are, Mr. Regan. She was young, lovely, and blonde, with a burning candle, very dead, Patrice Carter. I just stood there in the dark room, and I looked down at her. I think there were other people in the room feeling the same as me, and thinking same thoughts. I must have stayed that way for five minutes. And then I felt Janice King touch my arm. Did you know Patrice very long? No, I didn't know. She asked to have it this way. I know how you must feel being a friend, Mr. Regan. Look, Miss King, I didn't know her at all. and I didn't know that she was passed away. I'm a private investigator. I was hired by Daniel Carter to locate his daughter. Daniel Carter? You knew that she had a father. Yes, Mr. Regan, I knew. She told me about him. She told me everything. Well, you aren't the first one who's been here looking for her. There have been others. Detectives and lawyers trying to get her to go back. Carter knew she was here? If he'd loved her for just one unselfish moment, she'd never have left him. Well, Mr. Regan, she's where he can't bother her anymore. She's where he can't ever see her. Tell him that when you go back. Tell him she's going to be buried tomorrow. Tell him he can stop hiring lawyers and detectives to find us. Why don't you take him a copy of her death certificate? That ought to satisfy him. No, get out! Get out! 
it looked too easy right from the beginning. I took her advice and I went down to the morgue to get the dope on Patrice Carter's death. There was one white coat there, a little man with a bald head who introduced himself as Oliver Fig. So you're from Los Angeles. So how are things in Los Angeles? What'd you say your name was? Regan, International Detective Bureau. Came here to locate a girl named Patrice Carter. I just came from her apartment. Mm-hmm. And she's dead. Yeah, I know. How? <laughs> Might have wiggled herself to death. Did a dandy strip number at Joe Glorioso's joint. Stripper? Yeah, you got him in Los Angeles, ain't you? Seen that car to dame lots of times. Great! Uh, well, I thought maybe you could give me a copy of the death certificate. I gotta take something back with you. Sure, me. sure. Glad to do it. Oh, she was a real girl. Shame, dirty shame. So how's things in Los Angeles? And let's see. Blanky. No. Not the same guy. Blackly. Blacker. Homicide. They fished him out of the river. Mississippi mud. <laughs> Get it? Got it. <laughs> yeah, how are things in Los Angeles? Here you are. Carter. Patrice Carter. 731 Earthline. Mm-hmm. Carter's report referred to Dr. Emmett Trozzi. He out. Same died three days ago of leukemia. Let me see that. Sure. Leukemia. Then she knew. Sure. You get tipped plenty in advance on leukemia. Any doctor will tell you almost to the day. Nothing else? I mean, was there something fishy about it? Nah. All kosher. So how's things in Los Angeles? Any relatives? None listed. Well, that's it, I guess. Can I have a copy of Sure, it? sure. Take that. We got plenty more. Lots of people want death certificates for legal reasons. I once knew a guy who saved them like cigar bands or stamps. <laughs> One whole wall of his bedroom papered with nothing but death certificates. Imagine all homicides. So how's things in Los Angeles? Yeah, this is fine, Oliver. <laughs> See you around. Glad to hear things are better in Los Angeles. <laughs> After that, but go back to the hotel and try to get a reservation out of town. When I asked for my key, the clerk passed me three printed messages telling me that a Mr. Lyon of Los Angeles had been calling. When I got to my room, he called again. Regan, is that you? Where you been? Keep your shirt on. Come on, tell me. Did you see her? Yeah, I saw her. What'd you say? She's gonna play ball? How soon are you coming back? She didn't say anything, and we aren't coming back. What do you mean? She's dead. D-E-A-D. Dead. She can't do that. It happened three days ago. Leukemia. Now, wait a minute. Old man Carter's paying us $2,000 to bring her back. They're going to bury her tomorrow morning, and they don't want any interference. She was laid out. Her roommate laced me up and down for working for the old man. Name of Janice King. Good-looking brunette. I told Carter we'd bring back his daughter, and we will. There's 2000 bucks in this, and you know how I feel about money. Yeah, I know. So get busy. Now, look. I've done a lot of dirty, rotten things for you, but he's an old man and he's sick and I'm... And he doesn't wear dark glasses because it's a sunny day. He's almost blind. Now go on over and get that roommate and bring her back. He'd never know the difference. I won't do it. Offer her 500 bucks to come here and pose as Patrice Carter for a week. And she could take a powder. I won't do it. I'm calling Carter first thing in the morning and telling him you found his daughter. And that you're on your way back to Los Angeles. I won't... Do it.
It was in the French Quarter. They served a thing called a Sazerac and promised a very good floor show at one o'clock. I sat there watching the piano player and feeling kind of sorry for myself. I figured I had more trouble than anybody else, so I had three for Regan. It was about then, a tall redhead with a long cigarette holder eased off her stool at the other end of the bar, patted a bald-headed guy on the head, and came over my way. She gave me time enough to get a whiff of her perfume and then leaned into me. James? Mm-hmm. Me too. I'm the new headliner. I'm going to dance pretty soon. You ain't anti-social, are you, mister? No, Red. I'm just lonesome for home. Where's that? Los Angeles. Hey, that's a good town. And what are you doing here? Work. I'm the new stripper. Oh, yeah, you told me. Mm-hmm. That's a tough racket. Pick them up and put them down, put them on, take them home. Ten years now. Mm-hmm. How about drink? No, never when I'm working. Later, maybe? Maybe. Are you sure you ain't antisocial? I look all right, don't I? I mean, I ain't slipping. Come here. Let's go. No hard feelings, Red. I just want to see your face. You're crazy. Stop. Come on, stand still now in the light. What's the matter? Something wrong with me? No, not a thing. Not a thing, baby. You're just fine. How long did you say you've been dancing? Dancing ten years. Let go. Oh, no, still. That makeup. You wear it all the time. That's doing my business. All right. You had me scared there for a minute. You oughtn't to grab hold of a girl like that. Red, you mind if I ask you a personal question? Well, now, wait a minute. I just met now, you. Now, it's about your face. What's the matter with my face? <laughs> well, it's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> oh, sure, go ahead. Grease paint and makeup. Using it heavy like that for a long time, it's... Hard to get off, huh? Oh, can't ever get all of it off. When you've been in the business as long as I have, always got to have some of it on. Yeah, that's what I thought. I got what you wanted to ask me. Uh, that's it? Well, you can get more personal than that. <laughs> You're a little screwy, but I like you. Not like you, Red. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Hey, where are you going? What about the drink after my number? Rain check me, Red. I got things to do. <laughs> to go back to Janice King's apartment. It was a sticky, sick kind of New Orleans night. From one lighted street, I turned off on Ursuline, a darker, dirtier street. I stopped, right in the middle of the block. All kinds of people have followed me at one time or another, and I followed all kinds of people. But this had a professional feel to it. Stood there, listening, remembering my automatic and my suitcase back at the hotel. It only took him a second. He was a professional, all right. All I could see was well-pressed gabardine, two arms, and a hand-painted tie. The next thing was a gun butt carefully wrapped in a white linen handkerchief. Settled slowly against the side of my head. One of the well-pressed arms reached over and held me under the shoulders. I yelled at the top of my lungs, but there wasn't any noise. Regan of International was out as cold as a can of beer.
return to Jeff Regan, investigator, in just a moment. An easy way to save for future security is by a payroll deduction for savings bonds. Or if you're not paid on a salary basis, you can purchase savings bonds at your nearest post office, bank, or savings and loan association office. Now is the time to ask your employer to start deducting for savings bonds or to buy a bond on your own. If no other plan is feasible, your bank will deduct enough each month from your savings or checking account to buy a savings bond. For money in the future, buy United States savings bonds. You'll be glad you did. And now, back to the story of the prodigal daughter and Jeff Regan, investigator. Oh, isn't that all plan? Him all dressed up. Uh, we won't pay any attention to him, honey. The next thing I knew, a man in a straw hat and a polo shirt was kneeling down beside me, carefully smelling my breath. Easy. Easy now, buddy. Oh. Easy. Mm. You've been making whoopee. Yep. That says Rack will do it every time. Ooh. You know, you folks visiting down here ought to be more careful. Get your suit all dirty. Hit, hit me on the side of the head. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the side of the head, sometimes the back. No difference at all. Always wind up in the same place, on the street somewhere. Mm. Had enough for the night? Yeah, plenty. Mm-hmm. I'll take you to your hotel. Huh? That's my cab. I nearly ran over you. Your first trip? Yeah. Well, you know better next time. Oh. Is in now? Did you... See my friend? Hmm? Big man, gabardine suit. See nobody. Want to look for him? Later. See, what you hunting for? My wallet. Somebody take it? No. Nothing's missing. Everything's right here. Mm-hmm. Honest town. Oh, yeah. You're so right. Well, you feel better when you get back to your place. Yeah. Sure. Sure. It wasn't quite right. I didn't feel better until the next morning when I got a telegram and read, Found out Carter's broke. Come back. Forget the whole thing. Lion. And that was the first good news I'd had in three days. Oh, it's you. What are you doing here? She's buried, gone. Yeah, I know. I came back to see you. Wait a minute. You can't come in here. I just did. What do you want now? You. Yes, you. I was hired to come to New Orleans and bring Patrice Carter back to Los Angeles. She's dead and buried, and you know it. That's what you say. That's what a death certificate says. There's only one thing I learned lately. Don't believe what people say. Don't believe what death certificates say. I don't know what you're trying to do, but I... Oh, stop it, will you? I know you're Patrice Carter, and I know the girl who was buried yesterday with the real Janice King. And I know somebody's trying to make a monkey out of you and a monkey out of me. Now listen to me. If, if I have to, I can have that body exhumed. I can go into fingerprints and birthmarks and a lot of things, but I don't think I'll have to. You see, Patrice Carter wasn't the type to do a striptease for a living. You're just trying to make something out of nothing. I'll call the police and have them arrested. Last night, I ran into the redhead who took her place. She told me what a tough life it is. Ten years of wearing grease paint can be kind of rough on your skin. The dead girl I saw had those kind of marks. The girl I'm looking for couldn't have been in the business that long. Why don't you leave me alone? I, 
I don't know who talked you into a thing like this, but it's all wrong. He's an old man now. He's broke and lonely, and he wants to see you. I don't know what your differences are, but I want to take you back. <laughs> what do you say? He was so off. He hated me. I know he did. I never want to see him again. What's he been telling you? Oh, Tim. Oh, Tim, he knows everything. He doesn't know anything. He'll never know anything. This your boyfriend? He had a phony accent when he tried to shake me down in the hotel lobby. Get out of here, William. I played ball and you had to quit trying. It all fits now. This guy's been holding your hand for the last year. He's been real sympathetic. Get it out before I throw you out. He told you how to trade names of that poor kid who was dying of leukemia. He told you to send me to that morgue for a death certificate. And he dropped me in the gutter last night to make sure I had it. You know why? Don't listen to this character. Baby's off his He's a private detective from Los Angeles who's been getting paid to make love to you. No. No. Reagan, I told you to shut up. <laughs> He was good at the side street work, but this was an apartment. He didn't have enough room to move fast. I let him have the top of my head under his chin for a starter. And then I took a lot of feet in my face. But when he started to cross the carpet pulling for that 38, I saw my chance. She stood there and watched him go down. It's not true. It's not true. You're, you're just here to make more trouble for me. You're just here to make Am me... I? I thought I recognized the touch. Here. Here's his wallet. Look for yourself. Here, catch. Timothy Conover, private investigations. Well? <laughs> oh, come on, kid. I'll take you back home. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know you had someone with you. I'll see you later, Melody. The lion in? Uh, yes, but I wouldn't go in. He's in a bad mood. Uh-huh. What else? Come on, Pat. Regan! So you finally got back, did you? I suppose you've run an expense account that it took a horse. Let me tell you that it's all coming out of your salary. We didn't make a nickel on that Carter thing, and who's this? Patrice Carter. How do you do, Mr. Lyon? I thought I told you to leave her down there. Because that old schmo was giving us the runaround and hasn't got a nickel to his name. Besides, she's dead. Yeah, she's dead. That's right. Here's a death certificate to prove it. Now listen to me before you blow the rest of your cylinders. I went to a lot of trouble to bring this girl here. Well, you can send her back where she came from and I'll take her fare out of your salary. On the train coming back, Mr. Reed explained a great many things to me about myself. And about you, Mr. Lyon. Well, I wish you'd explain something to me. When I was a baby, my father placed a trust in a large holding company under my name. $50,000. And I can claim it any time after my 21st birthday. Yeah? How old are you now? Old enough. Mr. Regan found out that much. I made a phone call to Dunn and Bradstreet, knowing a lot of things. Go on, go on. Nothing more, Mr. Lyon, except I claimed that trust today. And I'll be glad to pay you the $2,000 fee that my father promised you. Well, well, now, that's very generous of you, Miss Carter. The International Detective Bureau is proud to have had a small part in bringing you and your estranged father together. I'm not going back to him, Mr. Lyon. I don't want to see him. Now, now, my dear, you're upset. Leave her alone, Lyon. Now, look. 
I tussled with a private detective named Conover down in New Orleans. He'd been hired by old man Carter to convince Pat that she should switch names with a burlesque girl who was dying of leukemia. Conover does a good job. When the girl dies, Conover wires Carter. Carter comes to you, you call me in and hustle me off to New Orleans, where, according to a perfect setup, I find a phony Patrice Carter dead. I bring back a death certificate, which you turn over to Carter, and then he walks right down and collects that trust fund, which reverts to the original maker only on death. Mm, and him with that story about being old and lonely and wanting only to see his daughter. Telling me he'd pay me a $2,000 fee. Why, that dirty crook, he's no better than I am. He tried to make a sucker out of me. He did. You fell for the whole thing. Mm. Trust fund in your name. Well, the young lady, you can sit right down here at my desk and make out your check. And then I think that as long as you're in town, you might just drop over and see your old father. International detective girl always in business to make people happy. Uh, and That's was, all. Uh, did everything come out all right? Yeah, I guess so. She's writing a check. That's what he wants. Cigarette? Yeah. Thank you. Why do you do it, Jeff? Hot in here, isn't it? The air feels good. Makes you clean. He doesn't care whether it's homicide or arson or a lost daughter or just people getting kicked around. He makes money on it. I help him. He didn't answer me. Why do you do it? I don't know, Melody. I don't know. Remember, an easy way to save for the future is to buy United States savings bonds. You can buy bonds at your nearest post office, bank, or savings and loan association, or you can ask your employer to start deducting for a bond a month on the payroll savings plan. A bond a month is good security for the years to come. For money in the future, buy United States savings bonds now. You'll be glad you did. Jack Webb is featured as Jeff Regan, investigator, with Wilms Herbert as Anthony J. Lyon and Lorette Philbrandt as Melody. Knight's cast included Betty Lou Gerson as Red, Lou Krugman as Conover, Theodore Von Elts as Mr. Daniel Carter, Eve McVeigh as Patrice Carter, and Harry Lang as... How's things in Los Angeles? Remember, it's CBS same time next week for hard-boiled action and mystery with radio's most exciting private detective, Jeff Regan as he tells the story of the lonesome lady. Jeff Regan, investigator, is written by E. Jack Newman, produced and directed by Gordon T. Hughes, with original music by Del Casillo. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Next one, um, I like. He's Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Um, he'd be kind of on the same, kind of on the same lines as uh, uh, one of the FBI things or something. But uh, uh, 
anyway, you know, where he's kind of confidential and secret. But um, anyway, uh, I like him, and I hope y'all like him too. It's called I forgot <laughs> <laughs> the case of the borrowed knife. That's what it is. The anyway. case of the borrowed knife. Yay! I got it. One thing about marriage, folks. Many are made in heaven, but there are others that are unmade by the forced application of the vow unto death do us part. The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. Barry Craig speaking. That's the name, Barry Craig. You rent an office on the third floor of the old mercantile building. You've got a city license which says you're a confidential investigator. So most of your life you sit around and wait. Some of the guys in the business hire blondes and call them secretaries. Others confide in cab drivers, bend bartenders' ears, even buy dictating machines. Maybe it helps them forget that they're the loneliest guys in the world because nobody really talks to you. The suspicious wives, the frightened parents, the desperate kids who walk into your office never even see you. To them, you're a license, a pair of ears, and sometimes a gun. Nothing human. And after a while, maybe you're not. It's open. How, how do you lock this door? There's a thing underneath the doorknob there. You slide it over. Oh, yeah. You're very crank. Yeah. You're not doing very well, are you? I could write my name on the dust on your desk. What name would that be? Wilma Lord. How do you do, Miss Lord? Mr. Craig. Have you ever killed anyone? Not for a fee. Will you answer a question about the weather? I don't know much about the weather. Why'd you lock the door behind you, Miss Lord? I can't have anybody see me here. There's a woman comes around a couple times a week. I'll speak to her about the dust. Oh, that's not... I'm going to marry a man named John Waring. Uh-huh. He's older than I am, a lot older. It's a question of taste. He's rich. Sweetens the taste. We're going to be married in a few weeks. I want nothing to happen to that marriage. I'll hire you. Cupid Craig, with a dollar sign in front of the Cupid. What do you think might happen? Death. Something wrong with Waring's health? You've heard of murder, haven't you? I've heard of it. Whose murder, yours or Waring's? <gasps> the door's locked. Whose murder? I can't stay. Is there another way out? Back of the water cooler. Leads to the back hallway and the fire stairs. I- I'll phone you. Sure. Yeah? Get, get out of my way. That gun a little heavy for you? I said... Okay. Well? But Dale. Where's the Dale? You don't look too good. Where is she? Got a name for her? But Dale. Walked in the ice, seen her. And now you want to take another look? Well, that give her back a knife. Right? 
floor stopped him. I kicked the door shut behind him. The knife he'd mentioned was angling out between the shoulder blades. I didn't want anybody to confuse him with a client. The homicide squad arrived and went to work. I don't like watching the boys. They're too smooth. I start thinking of all the stiffs they practiced on. I shut my eyes. Are we boring you, Craig? Lieutenant Rogers, I've seen it all before. Too bad. If only we could work out an entirely new approach. Then perhaps you'd watch us, hmm? Stop being so tough, Tram. Everybody's forgiven you for having gone to college. Thanks. You're welcome. Craig, the story's no good. It's the only one I've got on hand. I'll tell you why it's no good. The pump there with a the knife in his back was on the Harry Otis payroll. Oh? Well, my lord is on the Otis payroll. Must be a large payroll. Among his varied and largely illegal activities, Otis also runs a supper club over on the east side. The Gilded Lily. Mm-hmm. You can have Wilma Lord for supper there six nights a week and twice on Sundays. It's too early for supper. The last couple of months, Otis has been very busy. Covering up. The Crime Commission? The Crime Commission. Mr. Otis is a very large target for them. He's been doing his best to shrink recently. Woman Lord could have come to you because she planned to concertize with the commission and wanted protection. Why me? You're big. You're good-natured. And, uh, well... I'm stupid? No, no, no. But you like to believe people when they give you a chance to. What about the wearing angle? Did she pick him out of the phone book? There is no wearing angle. John Waring happens to be a distinguished philanthropist. That means a guy with so much money, he can give some of it away. Thanks for the translation. I still believe Wilma Lord's story. Why? Because she's young, beautiful? Because she looked you straight in the eye when she told you all? <laughs> no, Tram. Because she was nasty. Homicide wound up and went away. One nice thing about it, after they were through, the office no longer needed dusting. The clock in the church tower across the street made noises. So, after a while, did my stomach. But I was waiting for a phone call. Maybe the cops would get Wilma Lord before she could reach a phone. Maybe Wilma Lord had no intention of phoning me. I've been a sucker before. I prefer to being a wise guy. So I listened to the bells, ignored my stomach, and was rewarded. Hello? Mr. Craig? Yeah. Late, I thought you might have gone home. I'm still here. You're alone? Yeah. I- I've got to see you. That is, if after what happened you want to. I want to. I always believe a client. I didn't know you'd, you'd taken the case. Where do we meet? Well, not here at my apartment. It's too dangerous. Wait a minute. Would there be a couple of cops sitting on your lap by any chance? No. Why not? They've got an alarm out for you. Well, the apartment isn't in my name. Look, let's make it the park, the 67th Street entrance, in an hour. The park in an hour. Oh, Miss Lord. Yes. Don't bring a friend. I locked the office door. Nothing in the office worth stealing, but this way, maybe I could tempt a burglar. I felt underprivileged. I'd never been burgled. Hey, Mr. Craig. Never mind the glad greetings, Jake. 
Terrible tragedy you had, Mr. Craig. That's what I meant. Stop licking your chops and let's ride downstairs, huh? Terrible tragedy. Lieutenant Rogers says he didn't bleed much. You take the lieutenant's word for it. By the way, Jake, uh, did the corpse come up in the elevator? Lieutenant asked me that. A coincidence. Did he? Yeah. Come up in the elevator. Didn't have that knife in his back at the time, though. Maybe the elevator was too crowded. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. How about the girl? She come up the same trip? Lieutenant asked me that, too. Whatever made you give up that farm in Vermont, Jake? Got tired of watching the Four Seasons. What I told the lieutenant was, maybe she did come up in the elevator, but... But I didn't see her. Uh-huh. How about opening the door? And if she was young and pretty, like the lieutenant said, why, I'd have spotted her. Sure. After all your experience with the Four Seasons... Jake, how about... Oh, I keep forgetting. Mr. Craig. Yeah? In case anybody stops around and asks for you, what'll I tell them? Tell them I'm out checking a season. Good night, Jake. was close enough so I could take a couple of hamburgers aboard at Willie's wagon. A couple of hamburgers and a cup of the stuff Willie calls coffee. Willie keeps his coffee urn shined. I was facing it. What I saw in the urn looked like what you see in the distorting mirrors in the Coney Island funhouse, except not so funny. Willie! You got a complaint? Take it up with the mayor. Take a look over my left shoulder, Willie. It's gorgeous. You want I should pin a gardenia on it? Somebody looking into the wagon had his face plastered against the window. I don't want to turn and tip him off. Huh? You hitting the pipe again? No face. I bet you inhale, too. Oh, forget it, Willie. He must have ducked. Here. Take that up with the Bureau of Internal Revenue. Boy, you throwing dough around. What's the matter? You had a horse in the fifth? No. I had a corpse in the third. park was half a dozen blocks over and west. I couldn't spot a tail on me, which didn't mean a thing. Good tails don't get spotted, especially working on me. I'm easy to keep in sight from a long way off. Nobody had moved the park around. The 67th Street entrance looked cozy and dark. I tossed a mental coin, came up heads, which meant I should go home and spend a few hours of sleep. Then I cheated. I went on into the park. An investigator's job is a funny one. Either you play it hard and believe nobody, which is fine. It's safe. You stay out of trouble. Maybe after ten years, you're growing ulcers because nobody likes you. But an ulcer never killed anyone yet. Or else you believe people. Then you've got trouble. You're not smart. Except maybe it's not a choice. Kept getting darker. Not a choice because it depends on the way you're built. The way I'm built, you stick your neck out. I did. Only warning was a slide of feet on the gravel path. If you hit on the head hard enough, you get knocked out. All you remember afterwards is getting up. It's a memory you're willing to trade cheap. 
guy looks like he's returning to us, Mr. Otis. He might have fractured his skull, people. Private eyes have got very thick skulls. All I know is I read about them all the time. Private eyes are always getting bopped on the skull. It don't bother. It bothers me. Peeper, help the gentleman. Never mind. Mr. Craig, I've got a headache. I'm sorry, Peeper is so enthusiastic. Send him over a little closer to me. I'll calm him down. <laughs> I'm afraid not, Mr. Craig. Peeper is armed. He was acting on instructions from me. Was he supposed to bring me in alive? <laughs> I'm not that funny. How did he find me in the park? He trailed you there from your office. Uh-huh. Rather a cold, unpleasant night, Mr. Craig. You often walk in the park. I managed to get there from time to time. You wouldn't have been meeting anyone there? I could use a couple of aspirins. Hmm. Beeper was perhaps a little impatient. How was I supposed to know he had a, a point? Beeper. I beg your pardon, Mr. Otis. Well, Craig... I could still use those aspirins. I see. Well, perhaps it isn't very important. What's more to the point, Mr. Craig, you had a visitor this afternoon. I had lots of visitors, most of them in uniform. <laughs> I'm referring to the gentleman who preceded the police, the gentleman whose untimely death was responsible for the visit. You didn't happen to kill him by any chance? The cops didn't think so. They might be prejudiced. Also, you may have pleaded self-defense. Otis, you know better than that. A man like you has pipelines to the department. Very well. A question, then. What was the gentleman... You mean the punk with the knife in his back doing in your office? He was dying there. Hey. I'm hearing music. A ringing in my ears? A rather good little orchestra. They'd be insulted by your description... Don't tell them about it. This wouldn't happen to be the Gilded Lily, would it? You know the place? Sure. Some of my best friends have had supper in it. What was Jimmy doing in your office? A punk. He might have been looking for a confidential investigator. Oh, for what purpose? To help him find his lost innocence, maybe. Beeper. I'm not joking. What job was he doing for you? What makes you think he was doing anything at all for me? He was on your payroll. Indeed. The cops told me they're blabbermouths. Mm, pity about the civil service. Things would be so much easier otherwise. You could buy more for less, huh? You're not going to tell me why Jimmy came into your office? I didn't say that. I'll tell you why. He was looking for the owner of the knife in his back. Oh. He never got around to telling me who it was. Would you like some information? Very much. At what price? We'll discuss that later. The information goes like this. Your boy came up in the elevator. He didn't have the knife in him then. He did have when he got to my office, so... Someone presented him with a knife someplace between the elevator on your floor and your office. Yeah, one thing more. It wasn't right outside the office door. Oh? He got it near the elevator. He went down. There were a couple of bloodstains on the hall floor indicating that. He went down, stayed down for a while, pulled himself to his feet and made it to me. Why? You didn't like my previous suggestion? No. Craig, whom did Jimmy follow to your office? It'd be nice to know, wouldn't it? I mean, for me. Because you know, don't you? You mentioned something about a price for the information. What price? 
What do you think about matrimony? I have no time to discuss philosophy at the moment. Or philanthropy? Keeper. Yeah, Mr. Ellis. Until this moment, I've been considering Mr. Craig an honest, if somewhat stupid man. Now I'm not so sure. Yeah? Either of his honesty or of his stupidity. I can get your references on both counts. I would like to be sure, Beeper. I take him apart. Unless Mr. Craig would like to tell us another story. I'm out of story. You're in trouble, however. Beeper, we want Mr. Craig to explain his remarks about matrimony and philanthropy. Yeah, hold it, Craig. I wouldn't mind plugging you in a leg, say... Give me an excuse. You're going to stand and take it nice? Okay. Take it. And I hope the gun barrel don't scare you permanent. How about putting your arms behind your back, huh? It's going to start getting painful soon. Thanks. Now, hey, who? Opportunity knocks. No, Otis. I've just inherited a gun. Beepers. You weren't expecting company. Mr. Otis, I've been knocked unconscious. I've been pistol-whipped. Maybe I'm sore. I wasn't expecting company. Yeah, that's the reason people were startled. All right, open the door. Let's see who it is. Hello, Mr. Otis. The Marines. Hello, Trav. Hi, Craig. Mind if I come in? The office belongs to Otis. You're holding the gun. That belongs to Beeper. Beeper? Lying down. Tired? He ran into a doorknob. Have a gun on him. Thanks. Who knows? Maybe he has a license for it. We'll see. Exactly what do you want here, Lieutenant? We've had the place staked out. Nobody we were interested in showed up. I got the report that a big man was carried in. Turns out it was Mr. Craig. That's how it turns out. The place staked out? And you're looking for... If nobody minds, I'll get up. In a hurry, Barry? I'm late. For what? A date. Now, wait a minute. Way it looks, you were slugged and brought here. I guess it does look that way. You could prefer charges. Uh-uh. It was all in fun. That wealth across your face doesn't look funny. One of the reasons I'm in a hurry. What? I want to have the nasty little bruise kissed away. Lieutenant Rogers didn't argue with me. He wanted conversation with Otis and Beeper. Nobody had mentioned Wilma Lord yet. Not Otis, not Trav. But they were thinking of her. So was I. I tried to park. A couple of hours had died since the appointment, but I had to make sure. I made sure. Maybe Wilma Lord had been waiting for me. Maybe not. Either way, she wasn't waiting anymore. Trav would annoy Otis for a while. He had nothing to hold him on. He had nothing to hold Beeper on. For a while, Otis and Beeper would be busy with the lieutenant. After that, they might be busy about something else. I remember Trav's definition of a philanthropist. I could use some money. My name is Barry Craig. Yes? You're John Waring? I am. Mind if I come in? It's rather late. So late you sent the butler to bed, huh? Well, that is hardly... Who did you say you were? Barry Craig. 
Should I know you? Yes. Why? Because you're a philanthropist. Good night. I didn't finish. Because you're a philanthropist about to get married. Come in. Thanks. In here, if you please. Well, then. Your name is Barry Craig. Uh, you're a reporter, perhaps? Not exactly. Then why your interest in my... Marriage? I've been hired to make sure it goes through on schedule. Hired? By whom? Your fiancé. My... Didn't I use the right word? You mean Miss Lord? How many girls were you planning to marry? Mr. Craig, I permitted you to enter my home because you seem to know about... about my marriage. I didn't expect you to insult me. I'm sorry. Blood gets on my nerves. Blood? A man was murdered in my office today. Then that's why... That's why what? Nothing. Uh, this man was murdered. Had he any connection with... Your marriage? Yes. What do you think? I can't think anything about it. I, I, I'm confused. So confused you haven't thought of offering me a drink. I beg your pardon. Oh. Yeah. I could almost think you were expecting me. That's two glasses you've got sitting on that coffee table. I... With the drinks in them. One's rye by the color, the other... Uh, Mr. Craig, you're in my home. Looks like cream de menthe. A girl's drink. I suppose it's too much to expect the behavior of a gentleman from a confidential investigator. Yeah. We're the sordid type. I had an appointment with Miss Lord. She kept it, didn't she? Why don't we ask her? Ask? Nice drapes you've got. Pity they don't quite reach the floor. Now look here, young man. Never mind, John. Hello, Miss Lord. Hello. Did you decide the park was too cold at this time of the year? I... What made you come here? You wouldn't be holding up in your apartment, listed in your name or not. The cops are bright nowadays. Well... Where else would you duck for cover? It was simple. Lucky for me, it was simple. I get confused easy. What do you want? You hired me to do a job. I believe you. I always believe my clients. Sometimes I'm suckered, sometimes not. Because sometimes clients don't expect to be believed. I resent all this... Don't this... be in too big a hurry, Mr. Waring. Miss Lord was afraid that the marriage was going to be interrupted by murder. Murder? She didn't get around to telling me whose murder, yours or hers. Because another murder happened to somebody else. I didn't... Somebody on Harry Otis's payroll. Whose idea was this marriage? I... I asked Miss Lord to be my wife. And she said yes. Why? I love... You don't have to laugh at me. Harry Otis. You were on his payroll, too, Miss Lord. The Crime Commission was getting ready to ask him questions about his business, his tie-ins with officials, his, uh, backers. I must ask you... You were to... going to say leave. Let's pretend it was explained. Wilma Lord's young. She's beautiful. Maybe she could have wrangled a marriage offer out of you anyway. But her working for Otis can't be a coincidence. Sure you asked her to marry you. After she told you she knew about your connection with Otis. My connection? Financial. Dollar bills don't have pedigrees on them. That's a shame. How many of the dollar bills making up your bank account came out of Harry Otis's dirty enterprises? This is absolutely, absolutely unwarranted. No. Up until five minutes ago, it was a guess. A stupid guess. Because I couldn't figure any other reason for the whole deal. Now it's not a guess anymore. It's not a guess anymore. <gasps> Hello, Otis. I've been expecting you. 
And the gun. That's nice. Peepers outside with a gun, too. And the car? With a motor idling? Another stupid guess? Sure. The stupid ones give the most trouble. If you'd had brains enough, Craig, you'd have stayed out of this. I couldn't. I was hired by Miss Lord. I had to, Harry. I'm I had you set up. Waring was going to marry you, so you couldn't testify against him. Why'd you bury the knife in Jimmy's back? I didn't. I had him on you all the time. Would you have had any reason for killing him, Otis? What reason? Not even a stupid guess. Otis. Yes. This, this squabbling, it's unpleasant and uh, a waste of time. Meaning what? Whatever Miss Lord did or didn't do, Mr. Craig is now in a position to inform the Crime Commission of... of... Our business association? Yes. That would be disastrous. Not only for myself, but for you as well. I, uh... I hesitate to suggest anything violent, but, uh... But what choice have we got? Precisely. No, there's been... Shut up, Wilma. You've still got Jimmy's death to account for. Oh, you... You... Miss Lord. What? Don't drink that. What are you talking about? It took my drink away. You in a hurry to die? The man is... is insane. Otis. Yeah, Otis. The man looking for a murderer. What was wrong with the drink? Another guess. A solid one this time. Wilma Lord's wanted by the police for the murder of your punk... Well, my lord disappeared. Suppose she died in this house. Waring would have the body what? Buried? Burned? Either way, no more Wilma Lloyd. The cops would spend the next century looking for her. The case would be closed. Oh, no. Also, John Waring wouldn't have to marry her. He'd be rid of a witness against him. What he had in mind for you, Otis, I wouldn't know. But he had something in mind. Then he'd be free. He could go on being philanthropic. This is... It's childish melodrama. Murder's melodrama, only it's not childish. Mr. Waring, when I walked in here, you asked me if I was a reporter. The gag being you'd never seen me, heard of me before. But a little later on, you said something about a confidential investigator not being a gentleman. He must have followed me, too. You said Wilma Lord had kept her appointment with me. How did you know? If she told you, you wouldn't have confused me with a reporter. If she didn't... Wait a minute. He was checking on her because he was planning to get rid of her. But your boy Jimmy spotted him on the third floor where my office is. Nobody else would have had any motive for killing him. Waring had to because it tipped his hand about his plan for the girl. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Then suppose you drink this, huh? I... I detest creme de menthe. Drink it, Waring. I... I shall leave now. I find this highly... I distinct. said drink it. You're being a fool. A fool. <laughs> had to be done. It's done. The reason I knew the drink was poisoned. Take a sniff at it, Otis. Don't bother. A deep sniff. <laughs> so sorry. Got it in your eyes. Thanks for the gun. Hey, you... Mustn't lose your temper. Waring killed Jimmy. Sure. But you had to kill Waring, didn't you? If you'd turned him over to the cops, he'd have blabbed. The crime commission. Beeper! Beeper? You know something, Otis? You must be a sinking ship. That was it. All wound up, I went home, I slept. The next day, I was back on the third floor being lonely. How do you lock this door? There's a thing underneath the doorknob. Oh, you remembered. Somebody following you again? No. I just don't want to be interrupted. At what? Thanking you. 
I don't have any money. I'm not marrying a rich man anymore. But I don't think you'll mind. Hmm. I always believe a client. Good night, folks. See you next week. listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, The Case of the Borrowed Knife, was written by Lou Vitez. Next week, it's an exciting story titled Dead on Arrival, about which Barry Craig has this to say. Next week, I devote my time to a bashful blonde, an escaped lunatic, and a stone-cold corpse. And brother, is it murder? See you next week, folks. Featured in the role of Wilma was Elspeth Arick. Barry Craig. Starring William Gargan is under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Pardo speaking. The Silver Jubilee on NBC. This Sunday night, be sure to hear The Big Show with a full 90 minutes of outstanding entertainment. This Sunday, The Big Show will present such stars as Sophie Tucker, Morton Downey, Ann Sheridan, Jerry Lester, and your glamorous, unpredictable hostess, Tallulah Bankhead. The Big Show brings you a sparkling program presenting drama, comedy, music, everything to provide you with the biggest show in radio. Yes, for people in the know, Sunday means The Big Show on NBC. Then later, Sunday night, Theater Guild on the Air presents Age of Innocence by Edith Wharton, starring lovely Claudette Colbert and MacDonald Carey. Yes, there's 60 minutes of top-flight drama coming your way this Sunday as Theater Guild on the Air brings you Age of Innocence. And for photos as well as feature articles on your favorite NBC stars, be sure to buy the current NBC Silver Jubilee issue of Radio TV Mirror Magazine. This Sunday... Hear the best, hear the big show, and Theater Guild on the air, both on this, your NBC station. Okay, last but not least, here's my strawberry. Goes on top of the Sunday. Um, and uh, this is one that was supposed to go on last week, but uh, we missed it somehow when we were putting the show together and so this was um this is dedicated to my friend and victor's wife annabelle zarate um she has become a very good friend to me and so she loves bing crosby so uh that's what we have here is bing crosby and his guest is lucille ball
Boss Music Hall with Bing Crosby, Tootie Irwin, John Scott Trotter and his orchestra, the music maids and Phil, the charioteers, and Bing's guests for this evening, Miss Lucille Ball, star of Metro Golden Mare's new Technicolor film, The Valley Was a Lady. And here's Bing Crosby. From my sunshine, my only sunshine, you make me happy when the skies are gray. Never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. The other night, dear, as I lay sleeping, I dreamt I held you in my arms. When I awoke, dear, I was mistaken, and I hung my head and I my sunshine, Music Hall, friends, battle station bound to every spot on the globe. Where men are digging for victory in Tunis, Tunisia, and the Solomons are digging foxholes. And from the skies above Germany, they're digging up Berlin Street. The least we can do is dig a little, too. We've got to dig for war bonds, and we ought to be doing a little digging for that victory guard. There's been any number of cartoons and wheezes about victory gardens, but nobody's kidding about the urgent need for them. The more groceries we grow ourselves for our own uses, the more our farmers can send to our fighting men and our allies. So when you have a little time off, put your exercise in the garden. Climb into some old clothes. Some hey, old... Uh, I'm back. Mm, who are you? You asked me that 13 times already. I'm Yuki. That's what you keep telling me. Then why do you keep asking who I am? I keep hoping for a sensible answer. <laughs> I think I'd better change my name. And if you do, why don't you make it put in day? <laughs> Look, as I was saying now about victory gardens, like, all you have to do is to climb into some old clothes, uh, get yourself a razor. Suit? Yeah. That was those suits. It was an odd coat. You mean peculiar? 
Well, keep in touch with the coat anyway, will you? And bring it back soon. I yeah, mean, Paul said what I was that, saying, uh, you should ease into some overalls. Bring the head of little MDs that, uh, into the earth. Hmm? The Taylor Moon. How is your victory garden coming, Trudy? Well, Ben, I'm having so much trouble with my insects. So am I. <laughs> well, honestly, my garden's so infested that I can't tell whether I'm raising lettuce or lace. Ah, it's very cute. Well, I say, uh, the tailor knew you as soon as I brought the coat in. Really? What did he say? Well, he just looked at the coat and said, Crawfee, 38. That's not my size, 38. That's what you owe, buddy. Oh, <laughs> well, get the coat back soon, will you? Yeah. Well, how much... Uh, well, what's with your victory garden, Ken? Yeah, how much... Oh, so-so, you... so, Bing. Well, the scuttle is that everything on your victory garden is run by motor. Motor? Mm-hmm. No, no, it's just a little buggy. Ah, thank you. Out of here. Say, uh, how much did you pay for that coat I took over? Well, that coat cost me 43 minutes. There, huh? Mm-hmm. You could have got a new one for that. I like them broken in a little. Oh. Well, I forgot to tell you, I, I also took that gray suit to the cleaner. What gray suit? That's a blue suit. On the way over, it faded. <laughs> I must have left my dice in the pocket, I guess. <laughs> no, you didn't. How do you know? Well, before I left the suit, I went through the pocket. Get anything? Just practice. Too bad. I got another complaint, too. What's your beef, old boy? Well, look, I don't mind running these little errands for you, but every time you give me over a dollar, does your brother Everett have to follow me around? <laughs> he just happens to be going the same way. He does, huh? Did he tell you that I ordered a new suit for you? He did? How'd you know my size? Well, I didn't think you wore any certain size. <laughs> well, you're giving me a tip. Yeah. Now, I've got to get on about these victory gardens. Yeah, hey, I got a victory garden. I wish you were working in now, down in the potatoes. Somewhere. No, well, I can't. Somebody gave me a pair of rabbits and ate up the whole garden. Is that so? Yeah. What did you do with them? Well, I just took the rabbits and locked them up in the bathroom. You did? Yeah. And then shook a stick at them. Well, boy, that ought to teach him. Well, I don't know. I went back there to let them out this morning. Yeah. More rabbits there than you shake a stick at <laughs> Knock it. No. All those rabbits, you're, you're loaded with house and pepper now. Uh-huh. Well? Well, what? Uh, I mean, ain't you going to sing? Oh, yes. I was just thinking of that house and pepper. Oh, nice. Right. Right. English boy in Paris fell for a lovely mademoiselle with no French at his command. He tried to make her understand. He loved her more and more each day. And in his own peculiar way, he'd open up his heart and say, Darling, devil's end what to do You know you completely Won my heart Morning, noon, and night time too Till you're wondering what to do That's the way I felt Right from the start Ah, oh, Jerry, my love for you is straight, straightforward I wish my friends were good enough 
come in handy to a man of our armed might in French North Africa. Follows a few words that might prove his value to everybody right here at home. Stop. Time marches back. 1949. The Kellogg-Briand Treaty, pledging 62 nations to announce war as an instrument of foreign policy is signed, and the stock market suffers a slight technical reaction. 1949, and in their homes, thinking men can be heard to say... Oh, yeah, Trudy, of course I lost a little in the market, but that's the stock market for you. One day you win, next day you lose. One day you win, the next day you lose. Well, why don't you just try every other day? <laughs> if there's a way to beat the market, I'd know it. I got an uncle who's got a... He's had a seat on the curb there for over two years. Really? Yes. Well, see, I've always wondered what those men do at the seat on the stock exchange or the curb. Well, I've never seen the stock exchange, but I've seen my uncle's seat on the curb. He just sits there. But why? Well, he figures maybe a parade will go by. Uh, <laughs> well, never mind. See, if we hurry, Harry, we can just catch the first show of Milton Stills and Dorothy McHale and the Barkers. Oh, who wants to rush to see the Barkers? I don't go for them dog pictures. Well, this is... Milton Sills and Dorothy McHale, not Rin Tin Tin. That's what I say. What good's a dog picture without Rin Tin Tin? Honestly, Harry, I wish I could have an intelligent conversation with you. Ever try? No, seriously now, Harry. Don't you wish you could understand Einstein's theory of relativity? You mean you don't? You mean you do? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll get this. Here's the way it goes. You know the, the cannonball limited that yeah. goes zinging through town about 64 every evening? Yeah. Well, if he goes through the tunnel just above the ridge, going 55 with a 10-mile headwind... It takes all the way from the water tower to the yard to a distance of five-eighths of a mile to stop it with the brake set. Well, how do you know that? The engineer told me. No. <laughs> I'd still like to see a movie. You would? Mm-hmm. Well, how about the, uh, the singing fool? Well, you can come, too. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Of course, this is Thursday evening. Uh, we could stay home and listen to the Rudy Valley Hour on the radio. What's the My time is your time. Languid and plaintive. Hear the chant of the jungle. That's a fine thing to say about my singing. Who's talking about your singing? You just keep on doing it. Nothing like singing. Even says so in that song. What song? Well, it goes this your way. With a song in my heart, I behold your adorable face. Just a song with the stars. came to be, but I always knew 
the sound of your voice. Heaven opens its portals to me. Can I help but rejoice? There are songs that deserve seem to be that I always knew. Down for a gorgeous, exotic gal to portray the famed contest, Jean Bacou du Naturally, they came up with our good friend Lucille Ball, probably the glamiest gal between Burbank and Culver City. <laughs> nice to have you with us once more in the old craft music hall, Lucille. But why didn't you hit us in the potted wig and the hoop skirt of du Oh, no, Bing. I've been wearing hoop skirts so much it's gotten so that every time I see a telephone, I sit down on it. <laughs> Must get some dandy numbers, ever. <laughs> Honestly, Bing, I've been in that French court atmosphere so much I actually dream about it. The other night I dreamt I was a queen. Queen Lucille. Queen Lucille what? Just Lucille. I dropped the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Took a bad hop, huh? <laughs> um, and I dreamed I had a beautiful palace right outside of Paris. Oh, yes. The Trinity? Yeah. Built by my uncle, the Marquis de la Cibor. Oh, yes. <laughs> he copied it from his English place, Pinball on the Tilt. Oh, neat. <laughs> Lucille, uh, ladle me some additional lore on Le Marquis de la Keyball. Well, his wife was eccentric. She was a screwball. Oh, yes. <laughs> I used to bowl with the old girl. <laughs> Had a football, too, and mighty football. <laughs> well, during my reign as queen, yeah. three famous kings pleaded for my hand in marriage. My aide-de-court, Count Kenneth, sounded his trumpet and called the court to order. <laughs> The court of Queen Lucille of Balderdice is now in session. <laughs> May I speak, Your Majesty? Why not? My curiosity's at the Burlington. <laughs> I await your first void in a state of utter turmoil. <laughs> the people wish to know why you, our queen, have such a strange dialect. Well, the legend is that me old lady was frightened by a Brooklyn Dodger. <laughs> Uh, yes, I'll tell them you're a ferocious Dubera. Yeah. <laughs> Your Majesty, as a prior directive, I inserted an advertisement in the Paris Daily Postcard stating that Your Highness, Queen Lucille of Balderdash, was desirous of obtaining and maintaining a husband. I stated that only kings with Jack need apply. <laughs> I, I also said they must be handsome and tall. Yeah, we don't want no three-foot rulers. Oh, no. <laughs> no, definitely no short tears. <laughs> Did any people answer the ad? Three kings await outside. Okay, send them in. But I'm a sucker to call three kings. Hello, King. King John, the Scot of Protomedia. <laughs> in this corner, weighing 267 and three quarters, pretender to the heavyweight crown. You may kneel at my feet, King John. I can't, Your Highness. Why not? Once I'm kneeled, I can't get unkneeled. <laughs> Who 
ever gave you the idea that I would commit matrimony with a guy like you? What do you got to offer, huh? Your Majesty, I have a vast domain. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Liquidate the stylish stout, Count Ken. Cold, but that's all. Looks like I'm getting the count. <laughs> Hello, Stokesman's Park at the quarter running water at the half candy gap, and here's the winner. Captain Spinner got it. <laughs> <laughs> Your Majesty, King Bing of Colesbania awaits your pleasure. Shall I tell him to come forth? Well, if he's on one of his own nags, he'll be lucky to come fifth. <laughs> I'm King Bing, I swing. I'm King Ball, I bounce. Your Royal Highness, thou dost remind me of a beautiful cameo. Thou dost resemble a fragile flower. Thou dost bring to mind Madame Pompadour. Madame Dubuffet, thou dost, yes, thou dost. I guess i got to brush you off. You're too dusty. <laughs> oh, Queenie, can't we merge our kingdom? May I first ask how you get along with your people? Oh, fine. <laughs> they love me because I rule with a wise hand and an iron head. I believe it. <laughs> how do you get along with your subject? Oh, pretty good, but I keep drinking algebra. <laughs> Allow not a few axioms to worry your fish and tinted top piece, fair Queen Lucille, for I love you. I love you, dumb as you are. Oh, honestly, King Bing, you say the sweetest thing. Why, I think I'm blushing, dear. Nothing beats, nothing beats a royal flush. <laughs> I must say, you've made quite an impression on me, King Bing. I'll give you my answer soon. In the meantime, I'll have my bouncer throw you out. Hi, Kenny! Kenny! Poor Kenny. I keep him awful busy. He works like a dog. Where is he now? He's out digging for a bone. <laughs> I trust your majesty's answer will be favorable. You see, Queen, I want to be greater than I am now. I want to be higher than a king. What do you want to do? Make an ace of yourself? <laughs> I, I strive for that, your highness. I await your decision. I shall be in the royal swimming pool, where I shall join the ladies in waiting. <laughs> Announcing King Yuki of Yukimania. Right this way. Hi, Queenie. I'm King Yuki. Well, I don't know whether I want to marry anything like you. You're pretty short. Okay, so I ain't king size. <laughs> you look very familiar to me. Could it be that you're the guy who used to keep company with Snow White? You mean Prince Tommy? No, Dopey. Come here, Queenie. Listen, I ain't like those other kings. I ain't got no domain. I ain't got no castle. I ain't even got gold. I'm just a great lover, that's all. King Yuki, the lover. Oh! <laughs> then you're just, you're just the poison I've been waiting for. I ain't poison. Who said poison? Oh. Tom Kenny, send everybody in. I've made a church. All in, all in. Uh, Step up in the car, please. The queen has made her church. I mean, church. Listen, fellas. I've decided to marry King Yuki. Oh, but your majesty, he's the end of the dynasty. He's an nasty party. He hasn't even got a prank to his name. Who needs dough? He's rich without it. Oh, he is? What's he using for money? He's got butterfingers. Butterfingers? Yeah. And he's got a rubber neck. Rubber neck, huh? And he's got coffee nerves. Coffee nerves, yeah. But what's he using for meat? He's a bigger hand than you are. <laughs> Thank you, Lucia. 
Thus, Lucille Ball, the Brooklyn Yankee, or maybe I'd better say Dodger, in the court of Louis Couture. Returning to the States, returned to the charioteers, and the spiritual weighed in the water.
Okay, folks, that wraps it up for today. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you'll um, leave us some comments. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, and uh, if there's anything that you want to hear in particular, uh, let me know, and if I don't have it, I'll find it. And um, so, anyway, y'all have a good week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.